Okay. Are you recording? Yep. Shit. <laughs> Start over again. <laughs> Cut this out. Yeah. Okay. I'm done. Okay. What are you drinking? Um, whiskey sour. Courtesy of Ish. you. Ooh, oh, what yeah. did you make it? No, it is. It just, um, the okay. whiskey sour doesn't have soda water in it. Oh. Well, I'm a big baby. I'm used to drinking, so. <laughs> yum, good. yum. You're good. Thanks. How's your week been? Good. Um, I have a plastic straw this time, so you don't yell at me about clinking. Yes. Yeah. Oh my god, she's learned. I've learned. Um, phenomenal. My week's been good. I mean, just worked. I've been doing so much research. I think this is the most research I've ever done, and it's frustrating because all of these things that I'm researching, I've already, like, podcasts I've already listened to, like, things I've already watched, so Mm -hmm. you'd think that I would have already known all this stuff, but there's so much information. It's not so much knowing it or, like, hearing a bunch of podcasts. It's, like, putting it together in a storytelling fashion. It's hard. That's, like, understandable and, like, actually will, like, prove not like prove your point but like drive home what you're trying to say in a way that you want to that isn't the same way as every other podcast right or any other podcast right yeah because yep. the way some people do it like it makes sense and other people like confuse it but like i want i like timeline kind of things yeah so it's kind of what mine is good that's mine too oh sick oh yeah yeah i mean mine's kind of go i kind of go back and forth because it's just like not kind of. There's, like, a couple of things where I'm just like, oh, and by the way, this happened, but this was before. You'll see. You'll see. We're good. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> Anyways. Okay. How was your week? Good. Yeah? Yeah. Cool. Minus, like, COVID stuff. Oh. <clears throat> yeah. I don't feel super hot, but... So what topic did we pick? So this week, we are kind of talking about along the lines of family annihilators. Kind of. Kind of. <laughs> we are. Oh. We are doing that. Yeah. That's what they're classified as. That is what they're classified as. Do you, do you want me to say what we were talking about exactly? Well, you did. You just said kind of. It's like, yeah, she's kind of pregnant. I mean, no, yours is definitely a family annihilator. Mine's kind of like a oh, did the... one little thing and then several years later did the rest okay, of it. Okay, that's fair. That, good point. Yeah. Good point. Okay. Kind yeah. of a family annihilator. Kind of a family okay. annihilator, but not really. Cool. Well, I'm going to be talking about Chris Watts. Um, which I've avoided talking about on my other podcast for several years now because it was like, oh, it's too soon. It was too soon. And it happened like 20 minutes away from here. Yeah. So it was kind of weird. Yeah. Like I have family in Frederick. Yeah. (laughs) So it was kind of, and like I have friends who live like down the street. From his house. From that house. Ooh. Um. I hate that. My guess is if you're listening to this podcast, you've. This won't be your fir- first uh, rodeo with Chris Watts. What? <laughs> Never mind. Is it rodeo? Yeah. When what? I lived in Santa Fe, there was a road called Rodeo Road. And it's called Rodeo Road. No, I didn't. But people I knew did, and I'm like, mm, that's not right. Anyways, <laughs> okay. Um, he's what you would call a well now he's what you would call a heavy hitter. Um, pretty big case, but also like. Pretty cut and dry. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think the police did a really good job. A very good job. Like, quick, to the point, got him, done. Yeah. Um, but spooky, nonetheless. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't uh, care for any info on Chris Watts, because I would much rather focus on the victims than I, like, mm-hmm. like I don't like saying, like, oh, blame it on his childhood, blah, blah, blah. I don't care about that, so I'm not even going to talk about him. Besides what he did. 
cool. <laughs> You're gonna hate my story then. I don't care. You're fine. Yours makes sense. Okay. There was like nothing on Chris, anyways. Like he didn't. There was nothing weird. Hmm. Mm. You know what I mean? I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but his wife Shanann Watts. Um, she was previously married, and she went through a really rough divorce. Um, and then ten years prior to her murder. Um, spoiler alert, whatever. Um, she started to feel really sick, ends up getting diagnosed with lupus. Yeah, she randomly got a friend request from Chris, which I think is weird. Like, on Facebook, uh, they start talking, start dating, get married. What what year was that that he randomly messaged her? Do you know? They started, I mean, the kiddos were, like, three, so it would have been, like, four years Four or five years prior. Okay, so like 2015-ish? 2014? Yeah. That's really weird in 2014. Like, in, I would imagine that would be like a thing in like 1990s, like yeah. early 2000s, because Facebook yeah. was new, but like, sure. as like modern technology, this is how you're going to hit up someone. <laughs> Anyways, I'm done. I'll stop talking. No, it's true. It was, I thought it was weird. Yeah. Um, And she... If you've watched any documentaries, they have a lot of, like, the f- videos that she would post on her Facebook. She was super active on there and would just, like, b- use it to, like, vlog. Mm-hmm. Um, early vlogging. Early vlogging. Well, late vlogging. Like, there was vlogging before there was Facebook. And doing it on Facebook yeah, is kind of weird true. now. But she would do that and she talks about um, her story with Chris. And she ended up in, like, a multi-level marketing company. Which is kind of why she posted those videos, because that's a big ploy in, in MLMs, is, like, making it personal, and here's my story, and then here's where the company comes in and made my life even better. Blah. Like, she had all kinds of videos, and it talked about her, like, getting this friend request from this guy, and she had just been divorced kind of recently. Like, it was done, but, like, she's still fresh. Fresh. And um, talked about how it was, like, so exciting to get... A friend request from this hot dude, Chris. Uh, they met, they dated, got married, had two kiddos, um, Bella and C- they called her Cece, uh, short for Celeste. And then they had a third kiddo who they were going to name Nico on the way, and she was 15 weeks pregnant at the time of these events. So we're going to start in May of 2018. Um, that's when Shanann tells Chris she's pregnant again. And there's a video of that on her Facebook. And it's kind of weird. She just holds up this shirt that says, like, oops, we did it again. And he, it t- it took a second for it to click for him. And then it clicks. He's like, oh, I like that shirt. <laughs> okay. Like, uh, <laughs> but do you get it? Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I'm trying to say? And, um, you could tell... This is me speculating because people react to that kind of news in all kinds of ways. But, mm-hmm. um, like, he was stoked, but also, like, oh, my God, we have another kid to feed. Like, like you could see that thought process kind of yeah. happening, in my humble opinion. Um, Move on to June 12th. So this was, like, two weeks after. Um, there's some email contact between Chris's work email and this girl Nicole Kessinger's email mm-hmm. um and it was the first time that they had ever spoken they were co-workers and they were emailing each other about who knows what 
just worth saying that I got all of this timeline from this really great subreddit on it, and that came from original source documents from the case that were released after he pled. Yeah. Spoiler alert. So all this is, like, supported by actual, like, evidentiary documentation and, and phone records and email records, all that good stuff. Okay. A couple days ago, or a couple days after <laughs> they start talking on the work email, um, he adds 200 contacts to his work phone. 200? 200. How does he know 200 people? I don't know. Into At work? His, into his work phone. I don't know. Which included an entry for what he put in, Nikki Kessinger. Okay. Not Nicole, Nikki. So they're on a nickname basis. Yep. Hmm. Six days later, Chris misses Shanann's uh, first ultrasound. <gasps> I'd be pissed. I would kill you. Oh I literally, God. I wouldn't even finish the ultrasound. I would just walk out of that <laughs> doctor's office and find you. <laughs> and murder me. Uh, that's and fine. And we're catching me premeditating murder again. <laughs> Um, two days after the missed ultrasound, Chris adds Nicole to his personal phone under a fake name. Uh, yeah. Um, and then five days after that, on June 22nd, did she what? I said cheating 101. Yeah, seriously. Fake (laughs) names. It's not like I would ever go in and look at somebody's phone contacts and be like, who's that girl? Who's that girl? You know what? Would you do that? No, I would never. I can't imagine why you would ever do that. No. But I mean, whatever. Obviously, people that have been cheated on probably, like, yeah. you can you can tell when someone's cheating on you. You mm-hmm. can tell probably who it's with based yeah. off of their actions. So, yeah. like, going through their phone and being like, who's right. this person, this person, this person. Yeah. If without any prior yeah. facts or, like, reasoning to mm-hmm. question them, that's kind of just... A bit much, mm-hmm. and in my he, opinion. As far as I know, he had he didn't have a history of cheating, at least on Shanann. Okay. I don't know about her prior husband, but... Um, so on the June 27th, uh, Shanann and the kids go to North Carolina. That's right. where their families are from. Yeah. And their plan is to be there for six weeks. Chris is going to join them for the last, like, week or week and a half. Yeah. And then they're all going to fly back together. Yeah. But for the time being, he's um, here in Colorado, and they're in North Carolina. That is such a long time to be visiting your family. Can you imagine? No. I can <laughs> too hardly long. handle, it's like, too a couple of days. Love you, Mom, but... I gotta go. <laughs> but it's nice. I spent yeah. 18 years of my life with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, Chris and Nicole have their first date on... <gasps> Uh, the 4th of July. Oh my god. She goes, well, I don't know if it's a date, but it's like the first time she goes to their house. Okay. Um, and supposedly it was to help him set up some diet and exercise goals. I don't know if this is like a side hustle she had, but that's what was happening. I mean, he was a pretty fit dude. Mm-hmm. So maybe, I don't know. Whatever. I don't know. On two days after that, they go see a movie. So obvious date. Is it an obvious date? Yeah. Okay. You go see a movie with a girl? What? There's platonic friendships. Yeah. I would see movies with Franco and his his wife. wife. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then the next day, um, they call each other. And that was the first recorded call on Chris's phone between him and Nicole. Um, And that was at like noon. I don't know. 
Hmm. Um, on July 9th, Shanann and Chris talk about um, what's referred to as the nut incident. So I don't know if it was Bella or Cece, but one of them is like super allergic to oh. everything. My and mind so they, went a different direction with the sure, nut incident. Of course. <laughs> um, but uh, super allergic to like tree nuts. Okay. And there was some incident at, I want to say, Chris's parents' house. Okay. Um, where grandma tried to give the kiddos something with tree nuts in it. Mom, Shanann was like, oh my God, you can't do that. She'll die or have a horrible reaction, blah, blah, yeah. blah. And it caused this whole drama thing. So she asked and say, I didn't appreciate that mom put nuts in the kiddos. Like, it was this weird thing where she, like, wanted Chris to step in from here. But it was this whole big drama. Um, Nicole goes to the Watts home for the second time, and that same day they go to a museum in Boulder. Um, this was on the 14th. And then Celeste, Cece, has her birthday party in North Carolina, and Chris's family doesn't go. So it's like this whole family drama going on in North Carolina, which Shanann's like stressed about and is like constantly texting Chris like this is all this is happening. And he's like not responding to her, not answering FaceTime calls, like totally wrapped up in this new mistress thing and like ignoring all this shit that Shanann's going through and she's pissed. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um... Chris gets this app called the Secret Calculator, and it's actually a photo storage. So it's for it looks like a calculator, but you you actually put photos in there. So like nudes. Yeah. So he Jeez. starts transferring photos to that. Um, Chris and Nicole go out to dinner again. This is on the twenty first, and then on the twenty fourth, Nicole searches quote man I'm having an affair with says he will leave his wife. She Googles that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the next day, Chris <laughs> searches, quote, when to say I love you, and, quote, when to say I love you for the first time in a new relationship. Like a child Like would. he's never had a relationship yes. before? Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Whatever. <laughs> um, on the, that was on the 25th. On the 31st of July, Chris goes to, gets to DIA, and he flies to North Carolina, and that same day, so he gets there at, like, 3.30 in the morning, so he's, like, a 6 a.m. flight. Ugh. And prior to his flight, he deletes Nicole's contact info from his phone. Um, on August 4th, Nicole searches online for wedding dresses. Oh. Uh, searches for Chris and Shanann's Facebook accounts. Wait, hold on a second. They've been dating for, like, a month? And she's looking for wedding dresses? They start, let's see. Their first started... day was on July 4th. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he's still with his wife. Does she know that? Yes, because she's oh, searching my for her Facebook. God. Mm-hmm. Hold on. This chair's going to squeak a lot. Okay. Continue. Okay. <laughs> um, let's see. Shanann texts a friend and mentions that Chris changed the wallpaper on his phone from a photo of them to a photo of the sand dunes. He had gone to the sand dunes like the week prior with his mistress. With Nicole. And they Ooh. stayed the night there. What? Mm-hmm. Oh, no. I didn't know you could stay the night at the I sand I didn't know dunes. that either. Let's do it. Should we? Do you, Would you like snowboarding down the sand dunes? I don't know that if I can seem like snowboard. Your thing. What would I'd you do? I'd probably fall on my ass. 
I don't know. I think That's it'd just be nice to there. like go there and like just see it all. I've never seen it. I've never seen it. It'd be fun. Yeah. On August 6th, Shanann is telling her friend Addie that things aren't going well between her and Chris. And that same day, that same evening, Chris tells Shanann in a text that things are going to be fine. They're going to fix them. Yeah. Like, everything's going to be fine. Yeah. Next day, the family goes, comes back to Colorado and Chris tells his supervisor that he and his wife are having issues and he might be staying with a friend. He might be. But doesn't tell Shanann this. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> and then uh, Shanann tells this friend Addie um, that Chris told her the night before he doesn't want to have Nico, the third baby. Well, he just wait. was like, I don't want it. Don't you want literally him. did the act you in made which him <laughs> yes. made a child. So I don't know mm-hmm. how you can take that back, buddy. Yep. You yep. are you obviously know how to make a child. You have two. Yeah. Um, the next day she tells him she's like in this habit of just telling friend after friend after friend about all of her problems which normally I would not advise but in this case it worked because we have all these phone records yeah Um, same day Chris tells a friend he's excited to find out the gender of the baby they don't know it yet they find out it's gonna be a boy and then that same day Nicole uh, searches online quote marrying your mistress um, Wait, what? Mm-hmm. What does that even mean? I don't know. Like, being open to a relationship with someone that your love interest is married to? I think it's like just, like, wives? how often does a man actually leave his wife? And, oh, yeah. I see. Um, Shanann texts her friends that she is willing to fight for full custody of the kids if she and Chris split up. This is all the same day that... They go and find the gender of Nico. All the same day. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chris ends up going to back to work that day. Um, and then they cancel the gender reveal party. Shanann. You should cancel the gender reveal party anyways because it starts fires in California. <laughs> FYI. If you use pyrotechnics. <laughs> yeah. Don't Not do it. if you bake a cake. Okay, cakes are fine, but not anything that... No, we don't want another fire. <laughs> um, Shanann reports to another friend that Chris um, is refusing to go to couples counseling, which she's super upset about. Surprise. Next day, August 9th, Chris deletes his Facebook account, goes to work. Um, she asks him why he deleted his Facebook account, and it was this whole fight thing. And then ask Chris if he'll be there on Bella's first day of kindergarten, which is, like, in a couple, few days. Mm-hmm. He's like, yep, I'll be there. I'll ma- I can, quote, make that happen. It's your kid's first day of school. Okay. Glad you can make it happen, guy. I mean, here's the thing, though. Like, we work in jobs in which, like, we are not guaranteed anything off. Mm-hmm. But, like, he has a very flexible job, it seems. Yeah. So, in order, I don't know. Yep. Doesn't make sense to me. I'd be pretty upset. Yep. I agree. Um, she, Shanann ordered this, like, relationship book for them to do together. Um, so she gets confirmation that the relationship book she ordered, um, is on its way, and it's gonna get there while she's on a business trip. So that's kind of the plan, is, like, he's supposed to, like, kind of flip through it, flip, flip, flip. Oh, so she's going to come back and he's going to have all these dates planned. Yeah. Pretty much. That's awkward. Mm -hmm. I can already feel the awkwardness. Shanann texts another friend that she and Chris had like a good talk that day. They're talking about moving to Brighton and that they picked out the name um, for the baby. It's going to be Nico Lee Watts. 
That's cute. Um, yes. That's kind of close to Nicole, though. Yeah, not weird. Nico Lee. Oh, yeah. I don't like that. Oh, yeah. my God. That's so weird. That's yeah. so weird. Yep. Super weird. Um, The next day on August 10th, Shanann leaves for Arizona. Chris has the day off. Um, Chris asked Jeremy Lindstrom, mm-hmm. a friend, like a neighbor friend, yeah. if his daughter can babysit the kiddos the next night. Um, and Shanann contacts a realtor, um, gets confirmation that the book she ordered got to the house and tells Chris, hey, you should, like, check the mail. And, uh, they start talking about, like, dates and all this stuff. It's a good time, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, babysitter gets to the Watts home the next night and Chris and Nicole go to dinner. Um, and tell- he tells her that he deleted his Facebook account, which she thinks is super weird. Um, Shanann calls the house, finds out there's a babysitter there, and is like, what the fuck? Why is there a babysitter? Like, hello, Chris, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, and so you know when you're driving up to Denver on I-25, there's that lazy dog? Um, which is that restaurant? Yes. That's where they went. <gasps> no. Night. Yep. And that opened up a whole can of worms because Ugh. Shanann's like, babysitter? Chris is out. Let's see. Shanann searches online for Lazy Dog menu. So she sees the charge on the credit card, looks at the menu, and is like, what the fuck could he have ordered that cost 60 bucks? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Um, Shanann calls Chris. They only talk for, like, three minutes. Um, So it's almost 1030, and Chris gets home from his date, and that's when... They have, like, a ring camera, and so mm-hmm. Shanann saw that he was just getting home. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she tells... He's like, oh, yeah, I went out with the guys, went to Lazy Dog, blah, blah, blah. I got the salmon, that's why it was that much. It's like, I don't think they even have salmon there. I've been to that one once. I don't know what they had, though. Um, And she told him, hey, save your receipt so we can write it off. So she has, like, proof also oh. in that. Um, Chris calls Nicole at 1031, literally like a minute after he walks in the door, um, and they talk for about an hour, and Nicole and Chris discuss him getting an apartment on the side, and he's not super enthusiastic about it, and I think this is probably because there were some, like, money issues. Um, they're sp- stretched pretty thin, mm-hmm. the mortgage that they already had, and right. Mistress is like, mm, let's just get an apartment. It's yeah. Like, well, I can't fucking afford all of this. Like, And then sh- uh, Shanann tells the friend Addie about the $60 charge on their card, so she's getting like all the opinions from all of her friends about what that could mean. I would be doing the same. <laughs> oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Um, the next night, August 12th, um, Nicole calls Chris. They talk for 30 minutes. Shanann asks Chris if he can get the kids' backpacks and lunch is ready. Um, he's like, yep, I can do that. And then Shanann flies back to Colorado. Her flight got delayed pretty bad, so she ends up getting back at, like, uh, 2 in the morning. So here's where it gets weird. Um, 1.48, Shanann gets home. It's on the 13th. Mm-hmm. 2 a.m. Shanann gets an email saying that her credit card got declined, and that's because Chris has been using it on all these dates. Oh, gosh. Mm-hmm. Imagine your man is using your credit card for 
dates with another woman oh my god cringe um next thing we have is 5 18 in the morning chris starts his work truck so somewhere in there the kiddos and shanann are killed oh in the span of about three hours oh that's a Um, really short time yeah and here's the fun part this is this just shows how sloppy he was Mm -hmm. okay um he texts one of his supervisors lets him know that he's at um it's the job site is called survey 319 he texts like three or four different people like I'm at Survey 319. I'm at Survey 319. His GPS says he's there. That's where he hid the bodies. What an idiot. Yeah. And he tells all these people. And the thing is, um, between... He got there at 6.30 and other employees didn't get there till 8.30. So he had two hours. That's not a lot of time. I don't know. I mean, it's enough time apparently to kill somebody. It, no, they were dead. No, I mean, like, he did it. put them... Never mind. To hide them. To dispose of them. Okay. What are you thinking? No, I was just comparing it to the three hours that he had to kill them, quote mm-hmm. unquote, you know? Yeah. And now he's got two and a half hours to hide them. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if he could kill them in three hours, maybe he can hide them in less than 30 minutes of that, which he killed him in. Which means it's, I don't know, sloppy. Yeah. Oh, he's super sloppy. Um, He sends a phony text to Shanann's phone. Um, makes a phony call to Shanann's phone, searches for the kid's school, calls the school, um, calls the realtor to discuss selling the house, okay. and then calls the school again at 8.30. This is all between 6.30 and 8.30. He does he makes all those calls. Yeah. Um, And tells them, he says, the kids aren't going to be attending. And then he asks if they're at the school already. So he does this weird rigmarole with the school employees, and they're like, what? You should do yeah, not make any sense. Are? No. I think he's probably pretty flustered at that point. Yeah, kind of slipping up already. Mm-hmm. Um, employees get to the job site at 8.30, and Shanann misses the scheduled doctor's appointment at 9.15. Okay. Um, Chris searches for some Metallica song. He's searching for hotels in Aspen. He's doing all this weird stuff. At noon, he heads uh, home from work. At 1.36 p.m., uh, Shanann's friend, Nicole Atkinson, different Nicole, um, contacts Frederick Police Department asking for a welfare check on Shanann because she's like, dude, I haven't heard from her. She texts all of her friends 24-7, which we know that. Right. Um, And she misses doctor's appointment. So officers go there. Um, Chris sends another phony text to Shanann's phone prior to him getting to the house. Okay. Um, Nicole Kessinger, the mistress, gets a text from Chris about his family being gone and asks her to call him. So at this point, police have contacted him. They've done the whole uh, search of the house. Mm-hmm. Chris pretends to be worried. He's like, oh my god, her phone's here. That's her lifeline. Um, all the, her medic- her, She has lupus. All of her medications are here. He's like pretending to be super... Freaked out. Meanwhile, right. cops are noticing, like, that's so weird that the sheets are gone off your bed. That's so weird that... <laughs> like, all of these things that you probably what needed. Three, yeah, what three items did you load into your truck at 530 that's on your neighbor's camera? Like, Jesus. All these weird things are happening that day. Um, you imagine. Yeah. 
Um, same day, Nicole and Chris have several phone calls to each other. Um, and they do the whole thing with the cops where they, they're trying to figure out where she is. Nobody knows where she is. The car is still in the garage, obviously. Yeah. Um, Officer James calls Chris to follow up and Chris tells Officer James he, he's like, well, I haven't cheated on her, but. I think she might be seeing someone else. Isn't that how it usually goes? Cheaters are usually the ones to accuse yeah. of the cheating. Yep. I mean, yeah, that's just yep. obviously an assumption based off of my opinion. But. Yes. And so he has this conversation at like 9.15 p.m. that night. Yeah. At 9.45 p.m. ish. He calls his mistress and they talk for an hour. <sighs> at least part of that was FaceTiming. Um... And then at 11.09, she calls him, and they talk for another hour. Blah, blah, blah. Um, Chris ends up telling her that he is listing his home for sale, and he's looking for an apartment. And then uh, sometime during that day, he gave consent for law enforcement to check Shanann's phone and ultimately gives it to him. Um, On the 14th, next day, again, several calls between Chris and Nicole. That... Day would be their final call between each other, which I think is interesting. Um, Shanann's mom gets in contact with an officer from Frederick Police Department. Um, she's like, yo, Chris is acting weird to us. We think you should maybe look into him a little bit more. Yeah. Um, some friends end up at the Watts' house, spend most of the day with Chris. Um, police fly some drones over the home looking for possible, like, burial sites, things like that. They don't find anything. Um, Chris ends up moving his truck down the street, which I thought was weird. But then, an hour later, another officer meets with the canine search team. I think Chris got wind that the canines would be coming. Um, oh. And Chris consents to a canine search. Canine team searches the Watts home. Mm-hmm. My guess is that he's like, well, I put these bodies in this truck. If I just move the truck down the street, they won't catch that scent. Yeah. That's my guess. I mean, it makes sense. I think also, like, the further away it is from his house, the less likely officers are going to find it and Dogs search it. it. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Um, same day... That afternoon, Nicole reads something online about Shanann disappearing. She's like, oh, fuck. She's already searched his face, her Facebook, so she knows, like, this is Chris's wife. Yeah. Um, and they, that, I think that's when they pretty much stopped talking. She stopped communicating with him because she thought that was skeevy. Yeah. Um, and then at 5 p.m., she searches, quote, can cops trace text messages? And also searches, how long do phone companies keep text messages? So she's freaked Forever. out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Um, let's see. And then um, the police get GPS data from Chris's work vehicle, which shows where he was that morning at that job site. Gotcha. Which is corroborated by his texts, blah, blah, blah. Um, Chris ends up going to the Frederick Police Department for an interview at about 6.40 p.m. He gets interviewed by the FBI, and all these different police departments, while they're in an interview with him, they're doing data dumps on all of their phones, all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't remember what news station it was, but he has that weird interview that I remember seeing that day. 
Um, that was just like, ugh, if you watch it, I don't know, maybe it's hindsight, but it was super. Ugh, I don't think yucky. I. I mean, I don't think I remember. Seeing... Oh, we'll watch it. No, I think we'll I probably seen, seen it with like the documentary that's on Netflix. Probably. Yeah, he's wearing that like gray sports shirt, and he's like, "Yeah, I just I can't sleep in this house. I just want him to come home." Okay. All that stuff. Yeah. It's like, dude, you fucking killed him. Um. So, that interview happens. Um, and then Chris goes to the police department. That's where he is talking to the uh, police. Chris asks if he can go back to work the next day in Anadarko, which is the company he works for, is like, mm, no. Yeah, fuck you. Because I think they're in contact with police and they're like, mm, no. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh, cringe. Yeah. Nicole hears that Shanann might have been pregnant. And so she... Start searching for different information about Shanann online besides, like, Facebook. Um, and she confronts Chris about it sometime. During this that fiasco? Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. On the 15th, Officer Dahl reports to the Watts' home to collect evidence. They're executing all kinds of, like, search warrants on different things at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, he took all their electronic devices, found that relationship book in the recycling. Mm-hmm. He tossed it. Um, he takes a blue nitrile glove that was on top of the refrigerator, um, takes the top sheet and pillow cases, which were found in the trash can. Mm-hmm. So okay. sloppy. Yeah, like, don't even try to, like, hide those yeah. anyways. Yeah, yep. Um, Anna Darko reports to police that they have evidence in their email server that he and Nicole <sighs> might have started a relationship together. This is why you don't use your work emails. Yeah. Jesus. Yep. And that same day, Nicole contacts detectives about the relationship with Chris. So, all of that comes together on the 15th. Um, Chris has a polygraph at 11. We can see, um, video of that Mm -hmm. on pretty much every documentary. So, if you want to look that up, it's very interesting. Very good polygraph, um, administer. Yeah, she's phenomenal. She's so good. Um... Let's see. A drone operator locates the bedsheet in plastic bags and some disturbed grounds at that Servi Ranch site where he was. And this is literally Chris is doing his polygraph at 11. The drone is flying at 2 p.m. FBI interviews Nicole. They get a search warrant for uh, her car. Not her car, not Nicole's car, but Shanann's car. And they get that. They take those photos of Chris's body. Um, they do another search warrant and they collect bedding, re- recording of the baby monitor and Chris's work computer. Um, and then at 10.45 p.m., they go to the Anadarko oil field where they collected hair from an oil tank hatch, parts of a rake, mm. and a bed sheet. And so they started excavating what they thought was going to be a burial site about 100 feet away from the oil tank. They get the body of an ad- adult female buried in approximately 3 to 8 inches of dirt. Like, are you kidding me? You're Didn't so fucking try lazy. hard. Yeah. He's like, man, I just have this rake, so I guess I'll use that. Yeah, that, um, honestly, trying to dig a hole with a rake would yeah, be kind of shitty anyway. Right? So it's wild. At 11 o'clock, they find, that's the time stamp for when they found her body. At 11.02, he's in custody. They oh. cuff him. They're like, yeah. copy, let's get this yeah. motherfucker. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> um... 
Dang. 12.03, he goes to the jail. I believe he went to Weld County because we have a friend who worked there at the time and he was there and he was in the same clothes as he was in that interview. So he did the day before. He must have just slept in that shirt. Yeah. Um, they, let's see, for, that was at 12.03 a.m. on the 16th, 12.10, they get Shanann's body removed. 3.30, um, the first oil tank is entered and that's where they find Cece's body. At 5.30 a.m., the second oil tank is entered and they find Bella's body. Why would you put them in two separate oil tanks? They were so small. <sighs> he had to, like, shove them Oh in. my god. Yeah. He's doing that to his own chill- oh, okay. Yep. I know, it's already disturbing to know that he killed them and did yeah. all these things. Yep. But, like, I didn't realize that they were so small that he was shoving them in there. Yep. That's it so disturbing. Horrible. Poor things. So, basically from there on, they do autopsies. They find that um, they were all strangled. And he had no marks on him, Defensive really. wounds. Yeah, not even really from Shanann. He reported to police in interviews... Um, that she got home, they had sex, and then he killed her. Which I think is super fucked. But before he admitted that, he said, oh yeah, she got home and I saw on the baby monitor that she was um, strangling one of the kids. And so he told police he was afraid that she was going to do it to the other kiddo. So he strangled her. And it just... So then how did the other one get strangled then? It's one plus thing. one equals two, uh-huh. and there's three people involved. It was involved. this whole weird thing. So for, like, a half of a day, I remember seeing news reports that were like, Chris Watts says that this is what actually happened, and so he tries to, like, pin it on right. her. But didn't they, like, Or it was the... something like he, she strangled one of them and, and was in the process the of other strangling one. the other one. Oh, or yeah, so that's It right. was something like that. But, but they... he said he strangled her to try and save his daughters. Yeah, didn't which is trash. You literally earlier said that the officers had taken the video from the baby monitors, yep. so I'm assuming that that means that they found the proof in which there was no strangulation. Yep. yep. Fucking idiot. Yep. Yep. Kay. So he manually killed all of them, buried Shanann hundred feet from the tanks, I'm, and then stuff. So fucking sad. Yeah. Um. From there on, I mean, it's just your basic. They did autopsies, toxicology. They're trying to find more blankets and toys from the kiddos at the site. They don't find it. And then from there on, um, he goes through the process. Everybody thinks there's going to be some kind of big um, trial Mm -hmm. because of the way he acted in that interview, saying that Shanann did it. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so he pled guilty to nine felony charges, three counts of first-degree murder, Two counts of first-degree murder of a person younger than 12 while being in a position of trust. One count of unlawful termination of pregnancy. That's what it was. And three counts of tampering with a dead body for moving them and doing yeah, yeah, and yeah. stuffing them in an oil. <sighs> so, yeah, he ended up, uh, he pled to all of that. And then he got transferred to an out-of-state prison because, you This know, case was huge. Yeah, it was gigantic. And he was getting... All kinds of death threats from all kinds of people and other inmates. Um, oh, yeah. A friend of mine who worked in 
the jail at the time said that he also got all kinds of love letters, which is fucking gross. I don't understand Fucking Charles that. Manson got yeah. love letters. Like, there's some... Oh, and Ted Bundy? Yeah. There's, like, some weird twisted fascination with that kind of... Th- I don't get it, yeah, but I'm not surprised. Yeah, I don't either. So, yeah. Do... What were you going to say? That was it. Oh, I was going to ask you if you... I've read some things in which people thought that Nicole was involved with the murders. Like, she helped him kill his family and stuff like that. To What do you think about that? I've heard that, too. There's no camera footage of her going into the house that night. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think maybe she, like, coaxed him more? I, maybe, but they it would it would have had to be in person. Yeah. Because they had all those phone records. Yeah. Or, like, maybe on the actual conversation. Mm-hmm. But now she's in a different state, pretty much different name, like, trying to start over. So I maybe. I just think it's kind of crazy that she, like, found, like, she was just so interested in looking up Shanann and finding all this information and then was like, I'm going to go to the cops and tell them everything I know. Like, it was kind of like, I yes. feel like that was kind of... Like, that's just weird. Yeah. Like, if I was, not that I plan on it, but, like, I feel like if I ever were to be the mistress of somebody that was under that much scrutiny, I would yeah. be like, I'm going to go hide mm-hmm. and pretend like I don't exist until cops come and talk right. to me. Yeah. Because I would be embarrassed and ashamed. Mm-hmm. Especially since she knew about Shannon and she knew about yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, and from what I remember, she was not entirely truthful about when she knew about Shannon. Like, she knew pretty early on. I don't yeah. think Chris really tried to hide that all that much. It's um, kind of hard to hide that when you work at a place that knows that you're married. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Um. So, my take on that is I would not be surprised if we found out that she had a hand in it. Yeah, or at least. Mm-hmm. But there's been no, like, Maybe it was, anything. what if it was, like, a, she was, like, you need to kill your family in order for us to be together. And then after, she, like, turned on him and, like, trying to be this good person. Yeah. Get the clout. What the fuck was his plan? Like, I don't get I this don't whole know. family annihilation thing. I've only seen that work once. And it was not even for forever. And uh, I'll have to cover that story sometime. What is I it? covered it on the other podcast. Um, well, we should do another episode name? because there's a, a family annihilator that I'm thinking of that never got caught. Never got caught? Never to this day. This My guy got caught, I think it was like 20 years after he did it. Um, and he got caught because they did a story of him on FBI's. Oh, yeah, I remember it. this now. What was his name? I don't remember. I'm don't so remember bad with names. I don't remember my head either. But, uh, his yeah, neighbor was years, like... Yeah, 20 uh, years later... <laughs> Um, FBI Most Wanted made this, like, clay bust of what mm. they thought he might look like. Mm. It, was it John List? Oh, gosh. You know me in names. But I think it was John List. Maybe. Keep I don't talking. Remember. I think it was John List. Um, anyways. But Chris Watts, like, was his plan to just, like, did he think he was not going to get caught and he could just start this new life? Like, does he think that debt goes away when you... When your family dies? Like, yeah. he just acquired all of his wife's debt. That's how that works. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's what happens when you're married. Yeah. Um. Also, it is John List. Oh, sick. Good job. Thank you. Yeah. It's one of my favorite Impressive. stories. super duper creepy. Yeah, we should cover that, and then I'll cover the one that I'm thinking of, because... Yeah, that guy never got caught. That's bananas. Yeah. So, yeah, that's Chris Watts. Um, that's crazy. Yeah. 
we watched some videos about the house and how mm-hmm. it's supposedly pretty haunted and there were um several body cam uh videos that have been released of various searches um, yeah body cams of officers uh-huh and uh there's some EVPs, some creepy stuff. If it's creepy enough to uh, freak Sammy out, it really freaks me out because yeah. I'll, she'll write off anything. I literally will look for any explanation to yeah. try to like. I I don't. I think we've talked about this in a previous episode. I just want to make sure that there's no possible way. Mm. I I just want. I don't know. I want 100 without a reasonable doubt. Right. Yes. Sure. And I was getting freaked the fuck out <laughs> yeah. during these, these recordings. That I, I was getting expected her to be like, mm, that must have been one of the officers. There I were a couple over of and her things. eyes are huge, and she's like, oh my god, <laughs> like, yes, ghosts. Yeah, there's this one where like, um, there's an officer with um this canine unit that they just they're searching the house for. I'm assuming cadaver stuff, and you can hear on the body cam footage like a giggle of like a little girl or something it's very faint and you can hear them react to it and they're like oh it must have been a toy in the closet and they're looking and they're like oh well let's just keep searching closet it's all shoes and purses literally you can see on the footage there's nothing in there (laughs) and all the officers were like "Ooh, that was weird it's like next room (laughs) it's that one was really freaky and then there's a couple other ones too um there was I'm, I'm sorry. I'll You're stop fine. telling your story for no, you. No, no, no. Go ahead. There's... We watched it together. Okay, cool. So, <laughs> the, another one that freaked me out was that Shanann's father had gotten an alert, or, like, someone in our family had gotten an alert that there was somebody in the house, so they must have, like, an alarm somewhere. Yeah. And they had gotten an alert that someone was in the house. This was after um, Chris got arrested. Clearly, no one else is at the house because it's theirs. And so, he... Shanann's father calls officers and he's like, here's the code of the house. Can you please just make sure no one's there? Because it was a big case. I'm sure they probably wouldn't have been surprised if someone broke into the house to be like, Ooh. Right. That's why they had like six officers respond. At yeah, least there were... for us, that's like a two officer thing. Yeah. Normally. Maybe one more if you have to search. And it depends and on like, like discretion. Activation. Yeah. And like the location. Right. No, so. there were literally six officers who were like. For a house. For one a residence. Like that's wild to a two... me. It was a pretty large house. House, but not I don't know it was a two story house but not that large to where they needed it six wasn't officers. big enough that we would ever right unless you knew somebody was inside with like a weapon or something exactly. I don't know whatever I'm not an officer but yeah they got permission they entered that well, hold on let me back up a second when officers got on scene the lights were on in the house mm-hmm. in the house in in the garage and in the garage like but it it had been vacant since yes the last people to be in the house were the officers when they right did very like the, they did so many search warrants yes and like the lights weren't on before that mm-hmm. that's sketch yeah and then they go in there there's no one there and then yeah. the body cam footage catches some weird things I'm not sure I believe all of them but there was that one that you, there's an officer that was like keeping an eye on the downstairs area while the officers were clearing the top floor and. He even reacts to, like, There's seeing something. There's something weird on, like, the right. So he's standing to where, on his left, you can see it's, like, the Stairs. dining room or the kitchen or something. Oh, yeah. Um, And then to the right seemed to be some kind of, like, maybe a hallway. Maybe it went mm-hmm. to the garage. I couldn't tell. But there's, like, a pillar wall in the middle of yeah. the camera footage. And to the right, there's some kind of weird movement. And he moves over. Like shines he, his light after that movement happens. He saw it. He saw something or he heard sure something. Yeah. yeah. 
Ooh, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it again. Oh my gosh, that's fucking weird, man. Yeah, but Good that's shit. spooky. Mm-hmm. Spooky, spooky, spooky. Get rid of these goosebumps. <laughs> I hate well, it. Well, now I'm going to drink my wine and listen to Yeah, now story. you get to I'm drink. Excited. I'm I Mine took an hour, so. Oh, shit. Yours took an hour? Mine's going to take, like, six. Oh, no. Oh, It won't. No. You're fine. You're good. I have so many notes. I'm yeah. so sorry. I have the same amount of pages. Did you? Did how you, many pages how, do you have? I had eight. Hold on. One, two, three, four. I think you had eight five, last night. Five, six, seven. Eight, ten. Nine, ten. You're fine. Okay. You're good. I have to stay up anyways. Yeah, that's true. That's cool. <laughs> I don't care. I'm so excited to talk about this. It's something that I first listened to on a podcast, and I don't even remember how this podcast got brought to my attention. It was probably that I had finished binging whatever shows, and it was just suggested to me, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. I wish I could remember. I feel like someone suggested it to me. I don't fucking know. But um, it's uh, The Disappearance of Susan Powell, and it's it's just wonky. But I'm going to start by talking about Susan, because she's the victim. Susan Powell, born Susan Cox. Um, she was born October 16th, 1981, in Alamogordo, New Mexico. Her nice. parents... That was great. Thanks. Go ahead. Um, her parents are Chuck and Judy Cox, and they're very important in this story, so remember their names, um, but we won't cover them for a while, but they're very important. And she also had four sisters. Not so important, but it's good to know that she has a family. It's not so important with this case. They're not really right, tied in right, with right, it right, like right, right. Um, Josh's family is. Yeah. So she was outdoorsy. She liked to play sports like volleyball, and she loved animals, and she had a bird club with one of her sisters, which is interesting, and I'm sure you would have hated. Um, yep. <laughs> but it's not my jam. <laughs> her and her sister, they each had a parakeet, and apparently they were male and female, and so they had a Whoops. million bird babies <laughs> at one point. But... um. Yeah, so Susan was 19 when she met Josh Powell, who was 24, in November of 2000. We'll get into that a little bit more, but um, just a little bit in November of 2000. Class, they were classmates at the LDS Institute of Religion, which is Church of Latter-day Saints. I'm just going to call They're it LDS. Mormons. They're Mormons. Mm-hmm. Um, and they met at a dinner party at his Tacoma, Washington apartment, and they apparently bonded over birds. I know. I'm sorry. You're disgusted right now. Bonds over... <laughs> Susan. Leftover dinosaurs. Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, um, religion was super important to Susan and her family. Like, she was raised in it, and her parents, you know, they really embraced it and made sure that they embraced it with the family. And um, it was a big part of her life. So Susan and Josh started dating shortly afterwards, and then they got married in April of 2001. So if you do the math, that's like less than six months. Cool. Cool. Um, and then after their wedding, they live... Their, did I just say letting? No, you said wedding. Okay, well, they lived with Josh's dad, Stephen, after their wedding, and Stephen lived in South Hill, Washington. So it's very important, before I go on, to explain about Stephen Powell. He is a weird dude. 
and a very creepy dude. He's a yucky dude. He will... If you look up videos of him online regarding this case, he is just a creepazoid. Super yucky. Yeah. But anyways, we'll get into that and probably four bullets. But (laughs) um, a lot... Okay. Let me just pause for a second. A lot of my information came from this amazing podcast called Cold. It's so good. It's 18 episodes of just regular episodes about this case and they're each an hour long we've been listening to it all day it's phenomenal it's so good it goes into so much depth and that's where i got a lot of my information especially i would there were times where i was doing research at work and i couldn't listen to the podcast and i was like "Mm, that's not what cold said so i don't trust you (laughs) this guy went into like they went into so much detail that like they had so much like audio yeah yeah. And th- they have even more information at their website called coldpodcast.com. Mm-hmm. They have so much more. They have, it's just so fucking good. So that's where 99% of my information came from, FYI. Um, but in a condensed version, because I don't have 18 yeah. hours right. to talk about this shit. So Steve had a strong dislike for the Church of Latter-day Saints. And... um. Stephen's wife, Teresa, called Terry, um, had a strong faith, and that caused a lot of tension in their marriage, which is kind of maybe foreshadowing for Josh, but we'll see. Um, Josh is a son of Steve and Terry Powell. He was in the Boy Scouts, and there was a trip once that was sponsored by the church, and Steve hated the church literally so much that he mocked Josh. For going to that Boy Scouts trip until he quit. That's fucked Until up. he quit Boy Scouts. That's not cool. I know. Like, he had a passion for it. He was a very smart dude. Anyways, um, Steve would also share... Okay, I have to do another disclaimer. I'm so sorry. You're fine. This episode is extremely graphic, and it talks a lot about abuse, sexual harassment, and obviously murder, but... I wouldn't say obviously. Not the Moida. Not the Moida. It talks about a lot of really fucked up shit. So if you have anything that might trigger you, I'm sorry. Anything You're going to be triggered. If birds trigger you. <laughs> and there you go. Birds trigger me. I'm triggered. You will be so. triggered in this. Literally everything that could have happened happened. Anyways. So Steve would share porn with Josh and his two other brothers, Jonathan and Michael, when they were kids. Like little, little kids. Like probably fucking weird yes so weird weird. and then steve would also tell them that people are just animals and should be able to have sex with anyone at any time Um, because that's something you tell your boys as they're trying to grow up i don't know i don't have children i don't get it but that's not i I just don't get it you don't have kids you know that if you don't tell your kids that no you don't like that's not it's totally inappropriate so inappropriate but I, all of this is so important when it comes to understanding things yeah. later on. Um, well, it but, molds you. Like, yeah. Those are the things that... Uh, that causes God. issues. So, Steve would also refuse to teach or enforce limits on certain behaviors. So, are you ready for this? Yeah. Josh allegedly killed gerbils that belonged mm. to his little sister, Elena. And he would make her touch their blood. Ew. Uh, what? Yeah. yeah. To, like, torment her. What the He fuck? would kill her gerbils and be like, go touch their blood. Anyways. Ew. He's also... Like... <laughs> I have no idea. Sadistic shit. So, he also, um, at least on one occasion, threatened his mother with a butcher knife. That's a problem. Super 
Super. So, like, just some violent... <laughs> super. So, super. Yes. <laughs> um, just some very violent shit that's going on in this house yeah. that, like, Steve would just... Yeah. ...not fucking care about. Which wow. probably also caused tension in his and Terry's marriage. <sighs> um, there's also, on one occasion, it's reported that Steve slapped Jennifer, which is one of Josh's other sisters. Um, slapped Jennifer across the face when she was protesting against him. Because Steve was ripping out one of her projects that she left in the sewing machine because... Because he needed the sewing machine? No, get this, oh because the um, her brother John wanted to use it. Not for anything, he just wanted to use it. And so Steve literally ripped out her project that she had worked on the night before. And when she tried to say, like, stop it, like, you're ruining it, he, he slapped, slapped her. What a fuck. Seriously. So Steve was a master manipulator. And he found ways to essentially brainwash the boys, specifically to hate their mother. It, Jennifer was a little bit too old—not too old, but she was older than um, her other siblings, right. specifically Josh and Michael and Elena. That she probably was cognizant enough yeah. to form her own opinions and not be so. Um, what's that like? Spongy to like that information. <laughs> I, don't, I can't think of the right word, so I just thought of spongy. Don't be spongy. Don't be spongy. Um, and Elena was so little yeah. that, like... Uh, What's she going to do? Right. Um, so that led to a lot of issues later on. Terry filed for a divorce in 1992, which there was one instance, I believe, that day or the day after, if I'm remembering correctly, um, that Josh attacked Jennifer because she called 911 when a situation got too heated with the family. Everyone was yelling. And she was trying to flee the house with the court paperwork so neither Steve or Josh could destroy it before the officers arrived. And that's when Josh tackled Jennifer to the ground in the front lawn of their house. And um, Steve noticed that it was causing kind of a attention to them. And he was like, you guys need to sh- fucking stop. But... Yeah. Jesus. So Josh obviously had no loyalty. Yeah. And then Josh and John took Steve's side when it came to the divorce, and he chose they chose to live with him, while Jennifer, Michael, and Elena stayed with Terry. Hmm. Um, During the divorce, Steve claimed that Terry was a religious freak. Which I mean, I get it. People can be a little freaky about their religion, but like using that as like a defense for your divorce is kind no. of weird. Yeah. Um. And then even weirder, Steve asked Josh and John to file declarations in support of Steve to the court during the divorce, and the judge found this in bad taste to get the young children involved. So it really yep. did not work in Steve's yep. uh favor. Yeah, in his no. favor, like he thought it would. Um. Another. So he was very manipulative of his boys, of his children, of his situation. And also Steve would get fixated on women. Ew. Yeah. Before the divorce, Terry found journals that Steve had that there was an instance where he was fascinated with a marry- married woman for two years. For two years, he had this fac- fascination in this clue. woman. Yeah. So he had before Terry found these journals, he had made a statement to her to terry that if something were to happen to that woman that he was no hold on let me re-say this i'm not (laughs) steve made a statement to terry that if something were to happen to that woman's husband that they would take in that woman as a plural wife 
Nope. So I'm sure that made Terry feel real good. Because she was eight months pregnant with their daughter, Elena. Oh, my God. <laughs> when he said that. Yeah. Isn't that great? Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean... uh, so in the divorce, Terry would state that she was terrified that Steve had plans to kill the husband due to those statements that he would make. No way. Yeah. And then Weird. she found the journals and it was probably like, holy shit, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. He also, according to Cold... He, Steve had a weird fascination with Jennifer for a little bit, his daughter. Ew. Um, He stated Christ. in his journals that they went on a trip, just the two of them, and she was walking around the hotel room, hotel room wearing nothing but a bra and underwear. And here's the thing that I'm thinking of. Like, if she was a kid, like, you might not know better. Like, that's your dad. Like, yeah. what makes you think that that's inappropriate if you haven't been taught that's inappropriate? So I don't know how old Jennifer was when this happened. But either way, the fact that Steve old was like... Old enough to be wearing a bra. That's true. That, which is too old. Right. To be... Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like... Also, I'm not sure how much Steve was telling the truth. Because you kind of learn that he... I mean, like I said, he's a manipulator. And I'm not sure how much I entirely trust what he says, you know? So I think he just liked the fact that there was an instance in which he could use that as an excuse to say that she was coming on to him or something like that. Your daughter doesn't come on to you. Yeah. I don't know what his motives were, but either way, it's fucking weird that he, like, put in his journal, like, his daughter was walking around in her bra and underwear and it was something that provoked him completely inappropriate yeah so those were just a few instances and so let's learn about the most fucked up instance um <laughs> i can't wait unfortunately pretty early on on in josh and susan's marriage susan learned that uh steven's fixation was pretty uh prominent in their life so while living with Stephen, unbeknownst to susan at the time and basically forever. Um, he followed Susan around the house with a camcorder recording her, like, constantly. When they got married... And she didn't know that? Well, she knew that much, but he didn't... Here's the thing. It's like, when they got married, you can tell his focus was not the wedding. It was Susan. What? Yeah. Like, so, on film or what? No, yeah, on film. You can see these videos of him, like, filming, like, the family events, but his primary focus was almost entirely on Susan. So, like, she knew he was recording her, but I don't think... Yeah. I don't think she realized the extent of, like, what he was recording. Um, And he also apparently used a small mirror to spy on her while she was in the bathroom. He stole... Like, under the door? Yeah. Yeah. Gross. And he stole her underwear from her laundry... He read her journals that she had, and he made love songs about her. He literally got recording equipment and made songs. You can look these up. I'm not fucking kidding you. He made a whole album about Susan. I thought it was just that one song. No. It's, an, it's a whole album? There's a whole album. What did, like, when did Josh find out about this? And oh, don't worry. His... I'll tell you. Okay, good. Can't I... wait to tell you. Um, 
So he also, this creeps me the fuck out. He also kept used feminine products and used cotton balls that had like nail polish removed from her nails. Fucking weird. Yeah, just like anything you could find that had anything to do with Susan. If he could snatch it, he did. And investigators. Did he ever get charged for like stalking? I'll tell you what he gets charged with eventually. Okay. okay. Um, but investigators like find all this stuff later. Yeah, we'll all be Great. upset with it. Good. It's fine. Great. Um, so Steve recalled an event, a specific event in his journals, which he talks about a lot later with um, detectives, that there was Susan like waxed her legs and asked him to feel how smooth they were. I think that's a little weird, but also I think it was her naivety a little bit because yeah. she was 19 what? or at least a little bit like early 20s when this happened. And she was just starting her degree in cosmetology so maybe she was just excited because it like worked and she was like oh my god like feel how smooth this is like i've never felt this so smooth before so i don't know i don't i honestly based off of everything else in susan's journals and everything else that we've learned like i don't think that she was coming on to steve right like he thought she was coming on to him was like there was it was not mutual yeah no so i think that instance it's either exaggerated by steve or she was just the she intention was different. yeah definitely a different intention um but anyways in 2003 steve confessed his feelings to susan in the car yep uh so they were dropping josh off at his job he was a semi-truck driver at that time and steve was taking susan back to her parents house so was he gone for like a like long periods of time i mean like, it doesn't really he, go into depth with how long he's stuck gone. at the house with Steve yeah. for a long period But it of- wasn't just Steve. Like, um, at Steve's house was Jonathan, Michael, and I believe Elena was at the house at that time because she was an adult. Or at least close to an adult. Um, but yeah, it was a pretty full house from what I can remember. Um, so she wasn't alone, but she also probably wasn't in a very comfortable well, situation. Well, there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he was driving Susan back to her parents' house, and as he was recording Susan walking back to the car, he thought he stopped the recording when she got in the car, but it's just a black video screen, and you can hear the audio of the whole interaction, which we have that audio here, if you guys want to listen to it. I'm probably wrong, but I'm really falling in love with you. I mean, you know, for the last year and a half, you're about the only thing we can think about. And and I don't don't know where it began. It probably began when you were living with me and and you come into my office and, you know, know, let me feel your legs smooth, relaxed, whatever. And and then it just went from one thing to another. that experience on the couch, on your couch in Yakima six months ago was just, I I mean, I I know that, I mean, it was a massage, right? But, but, you know, just being with you for two hours and holding you and, and, uh, 
I love how that was just like silence. Yeah, I mean, when you're end. put in that situation, like I, I would not yeah. know what to say. And no. she was like 21, I believe, at the time. Ugh. Also, while you were playing that, I just remembered she. They weren't. They got married in 2001, and they lived with Steve for a short period of time. So in 2003, they weren't living with him anymore. Holy so shit. she was going back to her house Ugh. Uh, alone without Steve. So, well, that's good. Yeah. Maybe I'm getting the wrong signals from you. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm interpreting something that I shouldn't be interpreting. Um, you know, it just, for example, when we were sitting on the couch, it just felt like you were very, um, you know, I mean, I was extremely aroused, and I think you were somewhat aroused, at least I thought. I don't know where you're going with this. Uh, Susan, I don't know. I, I, yeah, well, I'll tell you what I'm wearing. I'm married to your son, and I should just be the daughter-in-law. I know. Which puts me a step beneath your own children. Yeah, you can tell in her voice that she (laughs) is just so uncomfortable. Also, they keep mentioning the instance with the couch, and I didn't write about this because I didn't really think it was that big of a deal, and I forgot that they mentioned the audio, but basically there was a time where apparently Steve was giving Susan a massage on the couch, and he was, he said he was aroused by it, so that's cool. And he later on even tells detectives that, like, he went up Susan's shirt, but, like, she was like, uh, what are you doing? So... He tried advances and it was shut down. But anyways, yeah. that's the and couch didn't incident. He, didn't you say like, I should have kept going because she didn't explicitly say no. Yeah. She said, Steve, what are you doing, doing father-in-law? Yep. Like, right. what? Oh. Yeah, just because someone, here's that's upsetting. fun fact of the day. Just because someone doesn't say no doesn't mean they don't mean no. So. Right. <laughs> Consent is important. It would probably important. behoove you to say no for fucks like this. Yes. Also, don't know that. Let's just teach everybody and learn that if it's not a yes, it's a no. <laughs> yeah. So. Right? That's it. Oh if they do not God. say, yes, I'm into it, <laughs> then, then it's not, a no. Then it's yeah. a fucking no. So, <laughs> FYI. Anyways. <laughs> she, honestly, I am, I think she's incredibly lucky that she didn't get hurt. He was in control of the car. He could have done anything with that rejection. But I think not only were, like, her parents expecting her, so that was against Steve, but, like, he was so in love with her that I don't think he even had the the want to hurt her. But... Well, that's good. Yeah, that's one good thing about this. So, Susan did indeed tell Josh, because in the video, if you listen to the whole recording of the thing, Steve's like, are you going to tell Josh? And Susan's like, is there anything I don't tell Josh? Like, (laughs) why do you think I'm not going to tell my husband? Um, And Josh was irate, and he confronted Steve, and fucking Steve manipulated the whole situation and he said that susan initiated everything it was all susan he was just going off of the cues from susan and josh believed it here's the thing josh kept his distance from steve for a while but after i don't know like a couple of months he basically gave in and fell back into steve's little grip I know. So let's talk a little bit about Josh. He, as I said before, he's super intelligent. He, while, like, in elementary school, taught his other classmates long division well before he was even taught himself. And then he also found out how to calculate the volume of the sandbox. (laughs) 
It's weird. Yeah. Like, whose mind is just, like, looking at the sandbox? Like, you know what I need to do? I need to calculate that volume of the sandbox. I know. Nerd. Anyways, he was obsessed with technology. He had audio journals since he was in his early 20s. Weird. Yeah, so did Steve. Steve also had audio journals. What? I know. Um. Anyways, and but the thing with technology is that it's expensive. So Josh ended up putting himself into major debt early on in his life, trying to keep up with the latest and greatest technology, and he wanted to just have it all. It was like Pokemon to him, you know? <laughs> um. But Josh's life wasn't always easy, as we talked about with his growing up life with the divorce with Terry and Steve. Um, He also had a lot of tension with his father. Obviously, we talk about it a little bit, and it kind of wore on him. I'm sure his tension with his mother also wore on him, because she's not very prevalent in his life. He tries to reconcile with her later on, but... um. He also attempted to hang himself when he was 14. It's young. Yes, very young. But um, the uh, he just has a rope on, burn on his neck from that. But I know. Did he do, like, did he do any, get any help for that? No. Or? Not that was, not that I've heard of. So okay. I don't know exactly. Sure. Um, He also struggled to keep jobs. Susan was the made main breadwinner in their marriage and their relationship. Um, he also like used that to his advantage. But um, he through the years he aspired to be so many different things. So when he was like starting in college, he wanted to be an architect, but that didn't really go very well. So then he wanted to be an actor, but then that didn't go very well. So then he was a truck driver, and then he wanted to own his own design company, and he wanted to be a real estate agent, and each venture failed. So he just kind of had odds and ends jobs, some of them that Susan would help him get, some of them he would somehow find on his own. But um, he really, really struggled to, like, fit in. Um, and more so, like, with his relationship with women growing up, he often found himself attracted to women who didn't share that interest, and he was rejected a lot, um, which, I mean, happens. He also had a knack of turning attractions from sister to sister. I know. Which, um, again, unfortunately, Susan saw that firsthand. Jesus. I know. Susan was 12 when Josh was 18. And he had come over to their family, to Susan's family house, um, to hang out with her older sister, Mary. And Susan distinctly remembers Josh playing the piano for the family, but he denies that. He denies that he had any involvement with that. Surprise. <laughs> he he talks about this in his audio journals. So he says... Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. He's just saying, like, oh, she thinks that she knows me, but I... Mm, mm, it wasn't me. Oh, my God. Big weirdo. Um, Trash. Yeah, seriously. So another struggle for Josh, as I just said was his relationship with his father there were times that josh would see through his father's manipulation but then he would either end up ignoring it or just accepting what he was saying as fact and just doing whatever with it be better yeah josh also flip-flop with his religion he when he was living with his father he basically abandoned the church 
basically probably because his father hated the church. Sure. So then when he was in college, Josh resented his father for brainwashing him and he rejoined the church at the University of Washington. And that's where he met a lot of his friends and that's where he ended up meeting Susan. Um But yeah, so he flip flopped. I don't know what it is that he was like I think in college he probably just wanted to feel accepted because he kind of was like an oddball. His sister Jennifer on Cold said that she was he was just an odd guy. Um, and there were other people on Cold that said that he, if it wasn't a topic that he wasn't interested in, he didn't want to talk about it and he would change the topic. <laughs> he was very loud. He would talk to you for hours. And, you know, I don't like people like that that like to make things all about them. So that's just my thing. I probably wouldn't have been friends with Josh. Right. So... My opinions, if you're into that stuff, sorry you missed out. Um, so if you're into narcissism, yeah, which you missed that train. is very Steve. Steve is a very narcissist person, so it. Uh, I'm not surprised that it fell into Josh, too. Right. Um, so, like Steve, Josh kept digital copies of everything. That's weird. But I think it was just, like, the fascination with technology. And it's not like technology was, like, super new, but it's developed so fast, so maybe, I don't know. That had to do with it. He also kept journals that were basically random scraps of paper that he would just recall events on and just keep them. It's weird. Yeah. Um, so Josh was just pretty shitty. If you haven't learned already, he was just a shitty person. When Susan and him were dating, just dating, she worked at JCPenney while she was trying to get her cosmetology thing. Mm-hmm. Um, he went to JCPenney saying that he wanted to get a ring for his mom. And so he was like, hey, I like this ring here. Will you buy it with your discount? She bought the ring for his mother with her employee discount, and it turned out to be her engagement ring. That's fucked. Yep. That's not how we do it. Apparently it is in Josh Powell world. Um, And then he also used her clean credit to his advantage, and he would buy all kinds of shit. He would just get credit card and credit card under her name and just use it. Um. Yeah, so let's go back to before they moved. Surprise, they moved. So they were living in Washington. Then, and like... Had all these issues. Had all these issues. And you're living with your dad, so that's weird anyways. Yeah. So mostly because of Steve, they moved to West Valley City, Utah in 2005. And that's just basically outside of Salt Lake City. And that's where they were closer to Josh's older sister, Jennifer. Right. Um, Jennifer plays a huge role in this, and she was the oldest, and she basically got the fuck out of the fucking family (laughs) and was like, fuck you guys, you're crazy. Bye. Yeah. (laughs) So he, Josh kind of like sees his sister, and she's free of these things, and he kind of just is jealous. I mean, I don't think jealous is the right word, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, being close to... Maybe that's why they chose the areas that he could be closer and, like, maybe... I don't fucking know. But anyways, Susan also kept journals. Like, I don't understand where I missed this fad where, like, everyone kept journals of everything. Did you? No. Okay. No, cool. No, no, no. I didn't I don't... have time. I was too busy. Right. I don't get it. But, I mean, I in this case, it's really interesting. Yes. <laughs> Everything that reveals yes. itself because of these journals. Right. Um, but these journals basically described Susan's fears and her tension in the marriage with Josh. And mostly this tension in her marriage had to do with church and finances, which I feel like 
we could have seen that coming. So, um, like I said, Josh really bounced back and forth with his religious view. And Susan, as I said before, was very religious and she was really into her religion. And like that really... Very devout. Yeah, she was very devout and it really upset her that Josh would not just stay consistent. Right. Um, And then also there was a lot of discord because... Josh continued communication with Steve after everything that happened. That's cool. And then Susan also expressed to friends about her convictions with her marriage. And friends had noticed that Josh's spending habits and he had very controlling behavior. There was so much debt that Josh filed for bankruptcy in 2007, declaring over $200,000 in debt. Holy fuck. Yeah. And... A couple thousand dollars of that was um, money that Chuck Cox, um, Susan's father, had given them. And because he filed for bankruptcy, that debt was basically erased. Wow. Yeah. So the only, like, I know Susan was saving money to pay them back on her own. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they ever got fully paid back. But basically, she understood that Josh had no liability to pay them back. So she was like, I want to make right with my parents. So. Good for her. Wow. Yeah. In 2005, their first um, son, Charles, who we will call Charlie, was born. Um, And Susan knew that Josh would be a good parent because he was good with their pet parakeet, Verde. Yikes. Yeah. Because a parakeet's a good comparison to a child. Right. (laughs) Not a dog that you have to, like, play with. And take outside and pick up after and... (laughs) Yeah, so, yeah, after, uh, so, sorry, when Charlie was born, Josh was too fascinated with his laptop that Susan's father, Chuck, had to take her to the hospital. Oh, my God. And Josh was an hour late. What? Yeah. Oh, that's how you die. (laughs) That's not how good things happen. No. Um, After Charlie was born, Josh stopped being affectionate to Susan, if he was really that affectionate in the first place. Yeah. But he stated if he kissed Susan, he'd get sick. Yeah. Um, Makes no sense. Um, After Charlie was born, they also had to ask the church for help with paying their utilities and groceries, which is sad, but at least they had that to help them. Um, Susan got pregnant again, and um, and a couple years later, it was like in 2007, I don't think I put that in here, whoops. Yeah, in 2007, she got pregnant again and was told that the kid could have cystic fibrosis or Down syndrome. Um, and because of that, Susan was afraid that if they divorced, Josh would ignore the child with a disability oh and just God. take Charlie. Would you be surprised, though, no, at this point? No. Not at all. But Brayden was born just under, fi- or sorry, just over five pounds. Um, he had the cord, the umbilical cord, wrapped around his neck twice. Oh, my God. But he survived, and he had no disabilities. Wow. I know. What a little hero baby so they had only one car which josh wouldn't let susan use because he was too busy using it you know for the jobs that he couldn't keep um which susan had to bike 15 miles round trip just to get to work in which this route took her along a busy highway where like semi trucks were going by at like 60 miles an hour and she's on a bike so, um, I don't know, not long after she started biking and doing this dangerous activity, Josh made Susan get a half million dollar life insurance policy. Oh my god. 
Which soon, I mean, not too long after, not soon, but, you know, he bumped it up to a million. Oh, my God. Yep. So that's cool. Um, With their jobs, sorry, with Susan's job, they had to seek daycare. Um, and they found a local daycare in the area of um, their neighborhood. And the daycare lady, her name is Debbie Caldwell, because I don't like calling her daycare lady. So we're going to call her Debbie. Um, when be- meeting with Debbie, Susan took her to the side and asked if it was an issue to change scheduling because she was looking into a divorce. So it was no secret to anybody right. that she was wanting to get divorced, or at least thinking about it. Um, Susan called Josh emotionally, verbally, and financially abusive in her journals, and this is shown when um, Susan describes that Josh would give her such a small allowance for groceries, which was her own fucking money that she would earn, and... um. They got such a small amount of money for that that there were times that she wouldn't eat so the boys had food. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's so sad. Wow. Um, Friends suggested for Susan to seek advice from a divorce lawyer. And so I'm not sure if it was because of the divorce lawyer or if she was just a smart cookie, but she started to keep a paper trail at work that Josh had no access to. Good lord. Um, This logged their marriage turmoil and her handwritten will. Yee boy. Yee boy. Um, also, in the paperwork, it's stated that sh- Susan didn't trust Josh. And then the lawyer suggested that Susan listed their assets and um, t- in- to survey property damage. And because of that... Um, oh, I'm so sorry. The-, the lawyer suggested that Susan list their assets and survey property damage because of Josh. So, like listing that all of these things were his debts and his things and not hers. And yep. so um, Susan documented all of that in a video recording. Uh, this is me. July 29th, 2008. It is 1233 Mountain Time. Um covering all my bases making sure that if something happens to me or my family or all of us that our assets are documented hope everything works out and we're all happy and live happily ever after as much as that's possible charlie say hi i you can sense like her like just frustration yeah with it all Mm. and like last case scenario and she's still trying to be hopeful and it's so sad and then obviously when she's talking to charlie her her like she completely changes she gets all high-pitched voice and weird stuff like oh my gosh okay anyways Weird Didn't stuff. he have what, what were those like gallons and gallons of? He had uh, thousands of pounds of wheat. That's weird. Why would you need thousands of pounds of wheat? He had race cars that he never used. He had so many tools, like high end tools too, like all of the tools you could ever imagine. He had all kinds of shit. He had all kinds of technology shit. Like if you want to check out the video, it's on YouTube, and it's literally a video of Susan showing you every single thing. And you can tell in the video um, that she takes the 
you. She takes you, the viewer, into the backyard where she shows where she, like, is growing food because Josh wouldn't let her buy food. So she ended up growing her own vegetables and stuff, and you can sense in her voice that she's very proud of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Which is super cool, but super fucked. Um, So... That will that Susan made was later found in her work desk by officers, where you can see that there's lines such as, I want it documented that there is extreme turmoil in our marriage, and if I die, it may not be an accident, even if it looks like one. Jesus. Oh, gosh. So... Kind of going back a little bit, Josh once told Susan that if they got a divorce, there would be no lawyers, only a mediator, and she would never see the boys. Because he thought they had so much control. Yeah, that's Um, not how it works. I know. Susan also secretly hoped that Josh would cheat on her just to make a divorce easier. Mm -hmm. Um, And then during one particular fight, Susan slapped Josh, and Josh told her that if she did that again, um, he wouldn't hold back next time. And Susan confided in friends that she took this threat seriously and was scared that even though she's a woman, he would hit her if she even got in his face or hit him first. And here's the thing. I'm not condoning domestic violence for women to hit men, for men to hit women. Let's just not get to that point. Like, let's yeah. learn how to right. calm ourselves or, like, handle yeah. tension better. Yes. Um But yeah, she made those claims to her friends. And there was an instance where Susan walked in on a conversation between Steve and Josh when um, Charlie and Brayden were also in the room. And she heard one of the kids saying, Mommy was evil for making them go to church. (laughs) And so Susan feared that this was a projection of Steve getting to her kids already. Ten out of ten. And he's not even there. He's in a different fucking state. So eventually they... Went to counseling at the church, and the counselor told her, told Susan that she needed to work on her temper, which, I mean, kind of makes sense if she would hit Josh. Um, But, I mean, also, like, can you blame her? Um, He seemed like a little shit. Also, again, I'm not condoning domestic violence. I'm just saying, like, talking to a brick wall. Yeah, let's also talk to Josh about his shortcomings and issues and control. No, yeah, the counselor. Basically told Josh that he needed to be more faithful to his religion and issues wouldn't happen or something like that. Ugh. Yeah. But um, Susan set a date by their anniversary of April of 2010, which is nine years of marriage. If things weren't better, she would go through with the divorce. She basically gave him that time frame to... Like an ultimatum. Yeah. Kind of like yeah. Fix it. Right. So in June of 2009, Susan thought she was pregnant again, but mm-hmm. she wasn't. And then she thought in November that she was pregnant again, but that also... Josh put a condom on. (laughs) But that also was false. But she was so confused because she had the symptoms, the cravings, the nausea, the exhaustion, but all the tests were negative. And there was one instance where she was so sick and nauseous that it lasted from Friday to Monday. Fuck. Yeah. And friends told Susan that something might be wrong. Um especially since those pregnancy tests were coming back negative and she should probably take a blood test. But Susan refused, thinking that she probably had a miscarriage and didn't want it to be anything. I think I think basically she didn't want it to be anything but a pregnancy. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that maybe she thought that another child would maybe fix their marriage, but I don't think the first two did. No, ask Chris Watts. Yeah, right. How oh, that works. I know. So, um, yeah. 
In November 16th of 2009, uh, Josh told Susan that he loved her. And this was so unexpected that Susan told her friends. Oh, my God. And Josh even started going to church again, like, three consecutive times. Hey, friends, listen, that's not how relationships work. You don't just... You (laughs) are married to someone and you're shocked that they say that they love you. That's a clue. Yeah. That's a clue that something's fucked. Yeah. But yeah, so though with all these improvements that Josh made, they still fought and Josh was still spending too much money. So the night before Thanksgiving, Josh bought a torch, like a pretty badass torch that when he was buying it, he made sure that with the employees that it could cut through steel. And he also bought a bucket with a spout. Which is kind of fucking weird. Um, The torch could fit into the back of the family van. Clue. Yeah. Pretty cool, right? Uh, Josh also had gone to a, a nursery, like a a plant nursery, in mm-hmm. late November to get tree wrap to mend a broken tree branch. Um, even though the employee at the nursery was like, um, the branch is already dead, so this isn't going to help it. Clue. And he's like, well, I still want it. <laughs> oh, my God. And then he also got a massage chair because he was in pain. Or something from his job that he doesn't have. He had a job at this time, but it was definitely not anything labor and extensive. Um, So now we are to December 7th, 2009. There was a bad snowstorm that lasted through the night until early commuting hours of December 7th. And the boys didn't show up for daycare. Um, Debbie wasn't too worried at first because of the weather, you know, maybe they were a little bit late or something had happened. Um, like Susan decided to take them with her or they decided to stay home. So she wasn't too worried at first, but when she tried to call Josh and Susan, she couldn't reach them. So that's when she started to get a little worried after a couple hours, the boys still weren't there. Um, so Debbie would take some of her kids that she watched to school. So on her way back from taking them to school, she went by the Powell residence and noticed that there weren't like any fresh tracks in the snow. There was like nothing. So kind of suspicious. So what did Debbie do? The best thing she could do and looked up their emergency contact, which was Jennifer. But wait, there's is it, no Jennifer's good in this story. I know. I okay. Know, I know. Okay. Okay. I was like, don't say oh my god like that. So Jennifer only lived 15 minutes away, and she um was with her mom Terry, and they started driving to the house. Terry called 911 at 9:53 a.m. Uh, they got there before the police. They tried to look for a way in, but everything was locked. Um. Debbie told Jennifer about a time when her. Hold on. Debbie told Jennifer about a time when Susan said that they needed to service the furnace because it was getting cold. Mm -hmm. And so they feared that it was CL poisoning because of the furnace issues they were having. So as they're waiting for police, Jennifer starts calling friends, Susan, Josh, Josh's work, Susan's work, hospitals, nothing. Um, One friend had expressed to Jennifer that they were afraid that um, they went on a late car ride because the night before Josh had gotten... Um, a new camera that he wanted the Christmas party. So they thought that they went to test out the camera and, like, take pictures of the scenery and, like, slid off the road because the weather oh was God. so bad. I know. It's, like, everything that could go through your mind, I'm sure that's what was going mind. on. Yeah. yeah. Sure. So 
Um, officers arrived at the house at 10.02, which is a super fast response, in my opinion, because they called 911 at 9.53, less than 10 minutes that the officers showed yeah. up to, like, not really anything that seems like it's too crazy right. at the moment. But, I mean, obviously concerning. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't like somebody getting shot. Sure. So it wasn't, you know. Yeah. I'm not, I just want to, I just, I know you got me, but I just want to make sure our yeah. listeners know right. that, like, I'm not saying that it wasn't important that they go. I'm just... There are different priorities to mm-hmm. different calls based on the information that comes right. in, and that dictates an officer's response. Yeah. Like, you can't go lights and sirens to every single call. Yeah. And you're not going to get there as fast if you're not going, like, lights and sirens. Right. So. And also, with the snowstorm, I'm also yeah. thinking that, like, maybe it just was a slow morning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But either way, officers got there super quickly. And so they start looking around the house. Um, they noticed that all the windows were covered, and... And some of the blinds at the windows, there was, like, a sway in which they thought was signifying the heat from the furnace. And so they also were, like, uh, if the furnace is on and you guys think it's broken and there's CO, like, we need to get in there and see what's going on. So they um, asked Terry, because that's his mom, like, hey, can we break into your son's house? And she was, like, after a lot of persuasion, she was, like, yes, break into the house yeah so they broke a window and they um noticed two box fans that were aimed at wet spots on the carpet and the couch um and then they just started searching for anything and they found all rooms empty they basically were looking for bodies they thought at that point but they found everything empty they looked in the garage and the minivan was gone the only car that they had wasn't there. Hmm. Um, Susan's purse was still on the counter, and because of that, Jennifer feared that Josh had done something to Susan. Makes sense. Yeah. So at half past one, the officers on scene requested a detective because all signs were pointing that them missing wasn't accidental, which I think is a very quick yeah. kind of turnaround. Yep. But, I mean... You pretty much exhaust every mm. avenue before mm. that. Yeah. And they you don't want to be wrong. And right. You don't want to, like, include resources that... Right. Especially detectives, because, yeah. I mean, they're they're not, not busy people. Right. <laughs> they got a lot of shit to do. Oh, yeah. Um, So they must have found some... I mean, the car's gone. Mm-hmm. Where the fuck are they? Yeah. They, no one can get a hold of them. Mm-hmm. Every time people would call them, their phones were going straight to voicemail. Yep. Like, their phones were off yep. or something. Mm-hmm. So, um, Detective Ellis Maxwell was the head detective, and he arrived on scene and started interviewing the people that were there. And then he was also searching the home. And uh, there was at one point when Detect- Detective Maxwell was talking on the phone with somebody that a neighbor walked up to him, and she said that she had just spoken to Josh. Hmm. And this was, like, around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Okay. Yeah. That neighbor was Giovanna Owens, who was also the last person to see Susan alive. Um, So, Giovanna's son had helped her watch... Oh, no, I'm sorry. Giovanna's son had helped watch the boys December 5th while Josh and Susan went to that Christmas party where he got the camera. Mm. And then the next day, December 6th, um, after Susan went to church, Giovanna had come over because Susan needed help. Um, She had tangled yarn. So apparently she needed Giovanna's help for that. Um, I don't know how it is to to untangle yarn, but maybe I think Giovanna was like a big yarn person or like something like that, (laughs) that she was an expert on yarn tangler. Um, And then Giovanna remembered Josh saying that she could come over for lunch because, wait, no, she, he said 
She could come over for lunch, but nothing more because they didn't have anything else, like, for food. Okay. And, like, nothing more as in, like, no one else could, like, her son can't oh. come over. Like, nobody else can okay. come over but Giovanna because they don't have food for him. Which, weird. yeah, it was fucking weird. Uh, anyways, <laughs> I'm, like, stuck on that. It is um, weird. So Josh was cooking the food, which was an odd thing because Josh didn't do shit. But Giovanna didn't know, so she thought that this was just normal. And he made everyone's plates individually. Like, he would make something that's for Charlie. He would make something that's for Brayden. He'd make something that's for Giovanna. And then he'd make something and that's for Susan. Like, he didn't make them together. And they were pancakes that were cream cheese filled. Hmm. You can bulk make pancakes. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty easy. Do that. Yeah. Or there was cream cheese somehow involved with it. I don't know if they were filled or just whatever. On top or yeah. something. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of interesting. And he was cleaning up after himself. He even wrapped a blanket around Susan, being the most caring husband. And Giovanna was like, oh, well, that's kind of nice. You know, whatever. Um, so Susan started to get sleepy after a while. She got really exhausted. It was around like 4.30 on December 6th that she went to bed. And Giovanna was help still untangling the yarn, and Josh was like, um, yeah, I want to take the kids sledding, so. Hint, hint. Yeah, and Giovanna's like, oh, okay, sorry, I'll leave. So yeah. she leaves, and she takes the yarn with her, because she was like, oh, I'll just work on this while I'm at home. Yeah, yeah. And she's like, I can bring it back tomorrow, and Josh is like, just bring it back Monday. Or no, I'm sorry, bring it back Tuesday. She's off work on Tuesday. And so Giovanna was like, okay, I'll bring it back Tuesday. Not a big deal. But that's weird that he didn't want her there for a couple days. Anyways, foreshadowing. <laughs> um, so Giovanna was notified um, on December 7th by a neighbor that the family had disappeared. And like everybody else, she tried to call Josh and Susan. Josh finally answered his phone when Giovanna's son had called him. So they thought that was weird that maybe he just didn't recognize the phone number and just decided to answer it. Which is weird because you're getting all of these phone calls mm-hmm. from all of these people and yeah. you get a number that you don't recognize. And you're like, oh, this has to be That's nothing about what my family's disappearance yeah. is. Um, so when she talked to Josh, he was like, oh, I'll be home soon. That was, like I said, around 3 p.m. And then Giovanna went to Detective Maxwell to say, hey, I just talked to Josh. Um, around 5.30 p.m., Jennifer... Um, received a call from Josh and she was fucking frantic like she wasn't home anymore because at this point it they had it's literally all day that they had been there and she was like what am I going to do just sit here and worry so she went home she had her own kids her own family so she's like police are going to do their thing I'm going to go back home and she got a call from Josh and she asked where he was and he said that he took the kids into work and Jennifer said no we know you're not at work like what did you do and so Josh was like okay yeah you're right I took the kids camping and she and he said that they got snowed in. And then she's like, okay, well, where's Susan? And he said, oh, she's at work. And she's like, no, Josh, we know she's not at work. Where is Susan? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So then he says, to he asked Jennifer, what do you know? <laughs> During a phone call after she's just what asked where fuck? his fucking wife is. And he's fucking like, well, what do you know? Fucking weird. Fucking weird. So, um, with that, she called the detectives and she started to drive back to Josh and Susan's home. Um, so her and the detectives waited for Josh. That was at 530. 
So at 5.48, Jennifer called Josh again, and he answers, and she gives the phone to Detective Maxwell, who tells Josh to get to the house now. Duh. But Josh was like, I need to get food for my kids. Hmm. And Detective Maxwell's like, you have food here. You can bring your kids home and give them the food here. Yeah. Like, or grab McDonald's. We're doing this now. Like come grab here McDonald's now. and yeah. just whatever you need to do, just yeah. pick it up real Figure quick. You need to come home. Yeah. Um he <laughs> He didn't get back home until six forty. That was an wow. hour after Detective Maxwell called him or talked to him on the mm. phone. And no there respect. was no Susan. No way. There was two kids in the back of the van, but no Susan. So Detective Ellis goes up to him and he's just like, dude. Hey, where's your what wife? What the fuck is going on? Where's Susan? <laughs> this and is he, all weird. Yeah. He just is, I don't know, I don't know. And then he was just like, why aren't you answering your phone when everyone's calling you? And he's like, oh, well, my phone, Um, I turned it off so I could conserve the battery because I didn't have a charger. And um, the detective, I'm just going to call him Ellis. Yeah. Because Maxwell is kind of hard to say sometimes. Yeah. But Ellis basically was like, not playing his hand, but he could see as he's a cop. Yeah. He is scanning the shit out of that car mm-hmm. as he's talking to Josh through the window. And there's a fucking and there's a charger, fucking charger in yeah. plain sight. Yep. So that's lie number six hundred forty nine already. Um, so <laughs> Ellis was Detective Ellis was like, "Oh, well, we need to go to the police department now. Let's go to the police department, Josh." <laughs> and so he didn't waste time with that. So. Good. Josh goes to the police department for questioning, and um, he told the detectives that he had taken the boys camping that night at 12.30 a.m. Like, that's when they left? That's when they left to go camping. In the middle of a snowstorm. These men are so bad at killing people. I know. Oh, Uh, my God. Yeah. He said that they went to the Simpson Springs Recreation Area, and they left Susan at home because she was cleaning up a red stain from the carpet. (sighs) Which that <laughs> makes no sense. Yeah, makes no sense. Oh There's a lot God. of sources that said a lot of different things. I liked that excuse the best. I'm not <laughs> sure if it's true or not. But other sources say that she was tired and he just left her there. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? Also, there was a fucking snowstorm and they were and camping in below it. freezing conditions yeah. with a two and four year old. Fun. It's not fun as an adult. I would never no. take a child. I wouldn't even take my dogs. Right. No. Because like, yeah, because Susan would have been like, yeah, I'm totally okay with you putting my family at risk and Bye, I'm going to stay luck. here and sleep. Yeah. That Please makes no sense. Off, conserve the battery even though mm. you have a charger. Yeah. Like, no what? fucking sense. <laughs> um, and also Josh didn't seem that concerned about Susan's disappearance. He at times seemed more concerned about the wind know that police had broken because it was going to cost money <laughs> yeah well, so he doesn't make the money so i guess it makes sense i know and he yeah Susan's so that's gone, fine so. and he basically his, his explanations were i don't know and then when um the detective had asked for him to recall the last 48 hours he was very vague um detective ellis asked josh what he what he thinks they should do as police officers and josh was like i don't know look into the hospitals and they're like yep done josh what now what else should we do and josh is like i don't know i've never done this before no shit yeah i don't think anybody ever does this but you have some kind of idea for that yeah the first thing so um I'm a 911 operator, and so when people call and they ask, and their family members are missing, 
there's we, I will ask like what do they frequently do like where do they go do they go to places like do they like to go to this park do they like to go to this yeah. friend's house like what are th- their habits and like Josh couldn't even think of anything that she would go do he right. said that she was probably in beauty supply stores <laughs> what that's where she would go f- missing for a day during a snowstorm just Sally to Sally. Yeah, like, Sally, I just love these like... Sallies. She's going to drive forever in this car that I don't have, so I'm biking everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Christ. Uh, so, yeah, that's fine. So, um, with Josh's permission, they search the van, but the only... <laughs> He's like, you can search the van as long as I get to sit in the driver's seat and watch. Fucking weird. So, that's what they let him do, because they were kind of like, we need to just take what we can while we have it because they didn't want to upset him because then he could say no and they'd have to get the search warrant and then he could destroy evidence um so when they search the van there's a blue tarp that's across the floor on the back um there's tools that look like that look like that are (laughs) a rake a wood handled shovel and a yellow broom a humidifier a plastic tote with unopened camping equipment God. These these camping equipments is um tent stakes but no tent, a poncho, emergency blanket, toilet paper, a multi tool, and other random shit. There is also a folding hand saw, an extension cord, an electrical circular circular saw, and an electrical box cutter. These are definitely all items I would take camping. I would take a rake. <laughs> Um, which we learned that rakes are really, <laughs> really good to dig holes. Fuck, like at least he had a shovel. Oh, good thing he had a circular saw. Yeah, Thank good God. thing. Um, he oh, also God. had a red five-gallon gas can and a generator. So, um, super suspicious shit. Um, like I said, coldpodcast.com has a bunch more shit. They actually have like the pictures that the detectives took of the car, so that's pretty cool to look at. Um, if you guys want to look at that, uh, in the front console was a tray and, um, under the tray that like lifted it up was a pink Motorola phone. Is that Susan's? So when, uh, (laughs) Detective Alice Maxwell's partner asked about the phone, Josh was fucking silent. (laughs) And when you listen, there's audio of this on cold. It's super awkward. Super awkward. (laughs) Um, Alice asks Josh. They knew whose phone it was. And Alice asks why Josh had Susan's phone. And Josh finally says, oh, he must have put his phone or he must have borrowed her phone and put it in his pocket and just forgot. But then Alice was like, you don't just put it in your pocket and then forget and then bury it in the console underneath a tray. Yeah. Um, And also, Josh tried to call Susan's phone. And he left her voicemails, <laughs> pretending like like Thinking what Chris Watts did. <laughs> yeah, like trying to create an oh alibi. Oh my god! So um, yeah, that's cool. So I why would you... these fucking morons? Yeah, it's great, but Men they didn't have anything to get him, so they let him go. So the next day, December eighth, Josh was late to his second interview with police because he had a lot of cleaning to do, <laughs> and. <laughs> When his, sis- when his sister Jennifer came over to take Josh to the interview, she was like, holy shit, why are you cleaning right now? And she, literally, she knew. She was just like, the police are going to be, it's gone. Everything's gone. So, 
whatever. Um, Jennifer stayed at home, at their home with the boys after Josh left. And then police showed up to the home shortly afterwards. And she was like, God damn it, Josh. Did she tell them? Like, heads up. He cleaned the fuck out of this. She, like, pulled him to the side and she was just like, I, I'm here to help. Like, let me help you. Like, I'm, I, uh, yeah. So, it's really upsetting. But when officers were with Josh for the second interview, there was a counselor that was with the kids. Um, and Charlie said some weird ass shit. He said, basically, with a lot of words and they, I kind of condensed it. He basically said that mommy had gone camping with them, but he had stayed behind with the crystals. Yee boy. Yee boy. So, um, on the way... Well, I'm sorry. When Josh had first gotten in contact with um, Ellis, Josh said that he had called an attorney and he said that the severity of the situation was setting in and he was afraid of being looked at as a suspect. And oh. then he started doing weird Boy. sniffles during the interview. Like he was trying to cry, like pretending like he was crying. It's really <laughs> fucking weird. Um, but detectives, despite him saying that he had talked in whatever to an attorney, detectives coaxed him they were like hey man we just want answers we just want to help susan like just stay with us just talk to us um but then once they learned about what charlie said in the interview with the counselor they, yeah, they almost let him go and then like somebody let them know right yeah hey, um charlie said all this weird yeah shit. ellis had gone out to do something and there was another detective in the room with josh where he starts to pretend to cry again um but that's where they learned what charlie said and ellis goes back in and they tried to mirandize josh and josh was like okay cool i want a lawyer yeah miranda's a very fine line yeah so it's not like on tv where you put the cuffs on somebody and you're automatically like you have the right to remain silent you have the yeah. right all this like you don't have to mirandize somebody unless you're going to unless they're not free to leave and you are going to ask them specific questions pertinent to the crime that you believe they committed yeah which is where they were trying to go to mm-hmm. since and josh so, wasn't helping at all it's very difficult to Mirandize somebody who's a not the most cooperative, which Josh wasn't, mm-hmm. and b, um, who you need information out of. Yep. Like, if you have no other sources of information, this is your one well. Sometimes Miranda is what puts a plug in that well. Yep, and that's what I did here, because mm-hmm. Josh said he wanted a lawyer, and he left. Because they really had nothing else to hold him on. Mm-hmm. What they ha- what they needed to hold him on was what they the information they needed from him if he was forthcoming with it. Yep. He's not. Nope. So, um, and evidence was circumstantial. And since Josh wasn't budging, they had no choice but to let him go. Because if you listen to Cold, um, Ellis talks about how, like, if he, they took the information that they had to a DA, it was going to get thrown. Yep. Like they, one hundred percent. They had no body. They had no evidence. She could have just bailed with yeah. all the the journals and the videos saying that she wanted out. Basically. Yeah. But at this point in the yeah. investigation, they didn't have those. No. But they can't prove that she didn't just like up and abandon right. her family, right? Right. They can't, especially with Josh being like, "Well, oh, I don't know. I right. thought she was at work." <laughs> right. Yeah. Fucking. So anyways, while officers were at the house, they 
did like um that cool CSI stuff where they spray that like luminol stuff. Yeah, they spray that shit and to see blood because they knew that the couch had been cleaned and the parts of the carpet had been cleaned in which they cut those pieces of carpet out of the fucking floor and Josh was pissed. Um. Anyways, so they found blood on the ground, on the floor. Um. But they were like tiny, tiny droplets. Like they said it was smaller than a ballpoint pen. Yeah. And it, um, Ellis Maxwell says that it looked like if you were to like cough, like that kind of like. Right. Like like if you were to cough with like blood in your mouth. Like two hours ago. Yeah. And you would sneeze and that (laughs) blood just came out. Right. Yeah. So it was kind of like that. It was like that kind of spray, but little itty bitty amounts. Um, But nothing to suggest life threatening injury. So again, they don't have anything. Um, and then the DNA results that the, basically the results were released to the public in 2013 and it showed that it was Susan's blood, but also an unknown male contributor, a.k.a. Josh. Anyways, um. (laughs) You want some nachos after this? I would love some nachos after this. (laughs) Sick. (laughs) Nachos are my favorite food. So, um. They were also searching the van again. They had a search warrant for the van, and they found trash bags with plates and, like, empty food things, like containers of orange juice and stuff. And they analyzed this because detectives believed, based off of Giovanna's recount of the night before Susan went missing, that Josh poisoned or sedated Susan with those pancakes. Because he never cooked, did he? Never. Never. And why was the trash in the van? That's that's fucking weird. That's such a good question. Um, (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. That's what I. That was my next point. It's just like, why were you taking the trash bags away from your home? That's weird. Because Ellis talks about how they literally had empty trash cans at the house, like yeah. those um those like, big ones that you yeah, have outside your it's house. Not like it's like oh god, like trash days tomorrow. But they found nothing. That's weird. They found nothing. They well, tested. Did she it. eat the pancake that? Yeah, she ate, she ate the whole pancake, so, like, the chance, not chances, but there is the good argument of, like, if she, if she ate it all, there might not have been any evidence on the plant Right, to- that's probably one of the kids' pancakes that they're like, meh. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, it's just really shitty luck for these detectives. Yeah. Um, that just when they're like, holy shit. I can't shit. imagine, I bet their hopes were up all the time, like, this is it, here we go. Just wait, it gets Fuck. worse. <laughs> just wait, it gets worse. Um... <laughs> So they also learned, based off of looking at his phone records, that um, when Josh, oh, this irks me, when Giovanna called Josh around 3 p.m. the day of the disappearance, he was in West Valley, Utah, just blocks north of their home. He was in their city there. Yeah. And it took him, that was at 3 p.m., it took him almost seven, or seven, no, almost four hours to get back home the fuck was he doing just chilling with the kid what i'm gonna i didn't put this in the notes because i didn't want to go into too much depth about this but since you asked (laughs) based off of my memory from listening to the episode basically i'm gonna come back to this because i'm about to give away the whole okay everything okay Okay. um so remind me to come back to the phone pin a pin in that um so while officers were searching the home and the van josh waited in the pd lobby because he was like i'm not talking to you guys anymore so now he's waiting for detectives to release his car so he can drive away um, but just before 10 p.m., I guess Josh got bored. He left the PD and got a taxi, and he went to Salt Lake City Airport to rent a car. Hmm. And, uh, then disappeared. Suspicious. Then he disappeared for 18 hours. Hmm. 18 hours! <laughs> um, he left the boys with Jennifer, thank God, because... Mm-hmm. 
Jennifer's a good person. Um, and after he returned the rental car, like they figured out which one it was, and he drove that car over eight hundred miles. Holy fuck! In eighteen hours. That's wild. I know. Um, so that's about a four hundred mile round trip if you kind of think about sure. it, and that's a large area. Eek. Yeah, that I think they said that that's like going from Denver to Reno, Nevada. Oh my god! Like that kind of a trip. Like if you think about like that space, yeah. Who fucking knows what he did? So, he didn't have a cell phone. He didn't have anything because detectives had all that shit. So like mm. they had nothing to track him on, which was upsetting because Ellis was working on getting a warrant signed for a judge to approve of putting a tracker on their van he was they were trying so hard to be a step ahead of josh yeah and he was just ahead of them the whole time i don't think he knew he was ahead of them either i think he was just an impatient stupid idiot that got lucky (laughs) anyways on december 10th police searched the area that josh claimed that they were camping but failed to find any proof of anybody camping there um josh also never assisted in searching for susan Shit. Right, but are we surprised? No. Um, Ellis had asked for Josh to come back on December 14th to take a CVSA test, which is a computer voice stress analyzer. Um, and Josh said he had to think about it. It's so, like an amped up polygraph. Yes. Yeah. So it like tests the stress in your voice to see if you're lying or not, essentially. Some police departments, when you get hired, will do both a polygraph and that one. I know for Fort Collins, Collins does that one. Yeah. Yeah. That's real. Yeah. Fun fact. If you want to get hired in for Stress in my voice all the time. Literally. Like. I'm sure you can tell as I'm talking about this. Um, so he said he'd think about it. He'd take a couple days. And then he was like, you know what? Yeah, you're right. Um, I'll take this test. Um, he didn't show up. So they rescheduled it. And then he just never showed up. He never took the test. Piece of work. What a surprise. So instead, on that day of December 14th... Um, Josh goes to um, cancel daycare for the boys, and he also cancels any of Susan's future appointments that she had placed. He's like, well, she's gone. Yep. That's not something that a husband that's hopeful that his wife is going to come back does. (laughs) Just saying. I don't know if you know. That's not what love is, guys. Um, (laughs) On December 17th, after questioning Josh again, he was finally named a person of interest in the case. And fun fact, he's the only person to be named a person of interest in the case. Hmm. means something it's in whatever um police had learned that josh had made statements that he could get away with murder if the body couldn't be found and specifically made comments about how a mine shaft would be perfect because they're so unstable guess what was within 400 miles of west valley city utah Yep. So, (laughs) on December 16th, an all-out search for the recreational area where they camped in was conducted, and they also searched geode beds that the family had visited early in the year, because, I don't know, that comment. Charlie Yeah, the crystals, like geodes. Um, And then they they paid special interest to mines that fit within that 400-mile radius. Hmm. Um, And that's a large desert area to cover. Right, and you can like search, but you can't. Can you really go in and right. like search? So no. they they needed help because yeah. the police department doesn't have the manpower for that shit, and they also don't have the time because other cases are still coming in. Could you take a drone in there? Ooh, um, hold on for a second. Okay, 
Um, so they requested help from an Emmett Gallegos, who was a Utah Department of Natural Resources, and also a man named Lewis, who was part of Utah's Abandoned Mine Reclamation Program. And they were very important tools for searching for Susan. They had to sign a non-disclosure agreement so that Josh and the public didn't catch wind of where they were looking and ruin the investigation. Right. So basically, the super incognito, super secret squirrel stuff, Mm -hmm. they were just searching. And they searched. They even used cadaver dogs. No luck. There, um, I don't know when this was, but there was at one point a dog that was hitting off of a mine shaft, but it was unstable and too risky to go in. And some people said that that yeah, mine shaft, I know that mine shaft they um, used or they, the dogs were hitting off of. They could smell gasoline coming from. Well, if you, if you couldn't he, even use a drone, you could use. We have those like robots. They um they had they have like specific robots that they use yeah. to go in there. And when um what were their names? Lewis and um Emmett were searching these mines because they were the experts. Detectives were hanging back and they were working this robot through the mines. And anything that the detectives thought looked like anything of interest, they would make them go into it. So they were using tools, right. but there was the. Just the time to take to search every single mine. Okay, what about the gasoline mine? I don't know what they did to that one. I think that was part of a search that was volunteer-based. Fuck! And... Well, then bring people... Oh, my God. (sighs) I'm so... The the police department did not want to be involved with the volunteer efforts because they strongly discouraged people of untrained... Right. ...to be messing with these mines. So I think they didn't want anything to do with that. Okay. But, but also these cadaver dogs, according to Cold, were hitting off of a lot of shit. Okay. It was a desert. They found dead family pets. They found dead animals. They found all kinds of dead shit. They Can found... These dogs not differentiate between... I don't think so. I think okay. they just smell decomposition. Okay. So it's like, even if they were hitting off this mine shaft, is it even worth looking into sure. because of all the dead things yeah. that are just there? Okay. okay. Um, so trying to... Give them a little bit of props here. Um, Okay. So most of the mines were unstable, like we said, and police teamed up with those two guys. They spent hundreds and thousands of hours searching. But nothing. Goddamn. They spent all the way through the anniversary of the disappearance searching. So a year. A year. Oh, my God. Because there was just so much ground to cover, and I think they just gave up. Because what else are you supposed well, to do? Well, how do you justify the resources at that yeah. point? Yeah. At this point, like, that, yeah. With nothing beyond, like, what they already had from him. Right. He's not talking. So. Right. So so now we're going to backtrack back to the morning of December 18th. Josh got his van back, and it had the GPS tracker. Um, when he was driving that day, Josh would jump off the interstate and drive around a bit and then jump back on the interstate. So did he know? So detectives were basically, they knew, they knew that he knew that he was being followed at least. Sure. Uh, So they weren't following him in a car. They were following him with the DEA's plane. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) But they were like, he knows that he's doing some sketchy ass shit. So he's, he's jumping off the interstate to check if anyone is following him. Mm Mm-hmm. 
it's so smart for him, but so stupid because there was a plane following him. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, on December 20th, Josh was seen at a candlelight vigil for his missing wife at the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but not in West Valley City, Utah. This was in Puyallup, Washington, mm. where Steve lived. Ooh. Where Yucky. Josh and where Josh had packed up his kids the day before. To move to on December 19th. He okay. packed up his kids. She went missing on the 7th. 12 days after his wife went missing, oh he packed God. up his kids and moved to Washington. Holy shit. Moved. Not moved. just like, I need to stay here for a minute. Nope. Moved. Oh, my God. I mean, I don't know if he had gone yeah. there. His excuse for going there was that he wanted to get away from media. Yeah, okay. Stop I, I get it. I yeah. get it. Like, it's a lot of pressure, obviously. Also, your wife is missing. Yeah, you would... Like, people that are not s- suspicious would use the media as a tool to find yep. Susan. But yep. instead, he does. He wants to get away from it. Sometime between Christmas and the new year, Josh filed to get Susan's retirement money. <laughs> are we surprised? Clue. So then... um. Detective Maxwell said that the Salt Lake City DA refused to file charges without a body until a year passed, so they needed to work on better evidence. So basically, without a body, he isn't going to do anything. Or she. I'm sorry. So, in an effort to get more information, the officers worked with Jennifer to uh, go to Steve's house with a wire. Yeah. This happened. I know. And this happened on January 22nd of 2010. So, a little over a month yeah. after. And um, you can listen to this whole wiretap on cold. It's Mm-mm. very interesting. Fucking Jennifer, man. She's badass. Yeah. She she struggled to get Josh alone because it's Steve, it's Michael, and it's Elena. And they are all on Steve's side. They're all on Josh's side. They all think he's innocent, whatever. So, they know, they know that Jennifer is, like, kind of... The outcasts. Yeah. So they're kind of suspicious in the first place that she's coming over, but she struggled to get Josh alone. And so finally, um, she just pushed him into a bathroom and was like, you need to tell me where Susan's body is. Fuck. <laughs> and Josh just kept denying it. She tried. She tried so hard. Oh, my God. She tried so hard. And um, eventually Steve caught on and kicked Jennifer out. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was this huge thing. It's fucking crazy but she tried fuck big another big thing that could have led to something and didn't so sometime during the investigation detectives learned that josh had gone to the doctor for an injury to his shoulder um which was a couple days after susan's disappearance that he did that Mm -hmm. and um it was a dislocated rotator cuff and something for someone of josh's age that could have only really been caused by something pretty traumatic right um and Josh claimed to have gotten it from a car accident at very low speeds, like, I don't know, like 30 miles an hour, like average speeds. And um, the doctor that was interviewed for cold basically said that he would find that extremely unlikely. Yeah. Because, like, if it was an accident, he was picturing, like, 80 miles per hour. Like, some really intense, high-impact shit. Yeah. Not that. Yeah. So that was also suspicious, that he had this weird injury that he couldn't account for, Hmm. for a a liable excuse. Anyways. Um. On December 5th of 2010, Josh claimed that Susan ran away with a man named Stephen Kosher. 
Um, just really briefly, Stephen disappeared from St. George, Utah, around the same time as Susan. So obviously it's related. Um, I'm kidding. But they basically <laughs> said that she ran away with him because they were in love. And it's like, where are you getting this yeah. from? They just started pulling shit out of their ass. And then that same week that he made that ex- accusation, J- Steve and Josh set up a website called SusanPowell.org. And is that still up? I, I tried to click into it and like this error message popped up saying maybe you should try because i was doing it on the work computer and i think it was sketch dot org yeah dot org susan powell dot org and they discussed that theory in depth about the stephen kosher thing and then they also use the website to often slander um susan's parents josh and no not josh um chuck and judy cox Mm -hmm. and also the legitimacy of susan's disappearance they just basically use that to start making excuses as to why she would run away um a year after the disappearance they the detectives talked to charlie again hoping that age would come with more info but charlie kept his mouth shut he made statements like i always keep things as secrets and that led investigators to believe that charlie was being told to keep that night a secret right so um, on August 20th of 2011, a honking wave um, turned into a pretty significant turn in the case. Um, Chuck Cox, um, Susan's father, and a detective came up with a plan. There was a restraining order between Josh and Chuck because of uh, tension and bullshit that I'm not going to go into because it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were ways to go around that, the RO. So what they did was Chuck stood at the corner of a grocery store that Josh frequented, knowing that it would draw media attention and also knowing that Josh would show up. Mm -hmm. Um, Detectives were hanging out, but they weren't involved. They were just seeing what happened. So Chuck was being interviewed by media, and they were soon interrupted by Steve. Uh, Steve was stating that he was violating the RO. And Chuck was like, no, I'm not. I'm coming here to bring attention to my daughter's disappearance. Like, mm-hmm. I have nothing to do with Josh in this instance. Steve was being Steve and being annoying. So they went back and forth, and Steve said some pretty damning things. He said that they had Susan's journals, and they would release them to reveal the type of people the Coxes were. That was what Ooh. detectives needed, were Susan's journals. So they got a search warrant. And they went to Stephen's house, and they got way more than what they bargained for. Mm-hmm. Um, also, at the same time of the honking wave, they were searching mines in Nevada. So all still in 2011, they were still oh searching God. mines. That's wild. That's super wild, because I told you, like, it could go to Nevada. Anyways. So they often used bait to distract the media and everything from what they were actually doing because they didn't want to bring those attention to those mines Mm -hmm. still um so the search was conducted on august 25th and it led to various computers hard drives tapes computer discs random shit um getting confiscated as evidence and when they got some of these computers josh claimed to not know any of his passwords so that's not suspicious Hmm. and then there's a hard drive to this day that they can't crack Weird. It is so encoded somehow that, like, they don't know what's on it, and it might have, like, it might be his confession. Yeah. It might be everything that they need to crack this case. Yeah. And they just Do can't they break still into have it. somebody working on I that? I think or? so. According to Cold, like, there's people that are pretty recently working on it and stuff, but I don't know. I don't work for the FBI. Um. Also, Steve wasn't there conveniently the day the house was searched basically he went to this place for a potential job and um 
it was four hours away where he was going. Mm -hmm. And according to Cold, detectives had nothing to do with that. But the job that Steve was going to was a hoax. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. They, I mean, basically, why would you want Steve at the house? Like, he's going to fucking create all kinds of fucking problems. And they, at this time, also had a wiretap on Josh's phone. And I think what they also wanted was to create some more evidence against Josh. And they wanted Josh to call Steve and say something incriminating. Yeah. So they had all kinds of motives. That that didn't happen. Josh called Steve but didn't say anything incriminating. damn it. I know. Fucker. So they found some videos that were taken that uh, shed some light on how uh, deviant Steve was. They found out about Steve's obsession with Susan. They also found dozens of computer disks containing images of women and young girls focused on their private parts. They were able to track down two of the girls in a few of the photos and verified they were underage at the time the photos were taken. And police arrested Steve in November 2011 and charged him with several counts of voyeurism and possession of child porn. Yep. Uh, Josh was named a subject in the child porn investigation, but nothing could be proven that it was his. So... There's that. But it showed that the household that the boys were staying in wasn't safe. So Chuck and Judy Cox fought for custody based off this new information. And on September 28th, 2011, they were awarded emergency temporary custody of the boys. And then they realized that the boys had a few concerning habits, such as they would sleep together naked and, like, be very adamant about that. Hmm. And then they were just rowdy and then didn't really show a respect of their elders. Sure. Um, Kind of like Josh just let them get away with whatever. Yep. Which sounds right because he didn't Surprise. sound like he was like it sounds yeah. like Susan was the yeah the, the parent yeah the parent yeah. and Josh just kind of played with his toys yep um so in February oh I'm sorry during all of this Josh was given weekly supervised visitation and kept fighting for custody of the kids but in February of 2012 evidence came up that there was cartoon porn on Josh's laptop and with the custody battle. Going on, the judge required for Josh to undergo a psychosexual evaluation and a polygraph. On February 5th, 2012, because he still had supervised visitation approved, um, a state caseworker brought the boys to Josh's house for the visits, and Josh took the boys inside, closed the door in the social worker's face, and she had to be with them if there were supervised visits. Yeah. Ugh. The social worker smelled gas before he closed the door. Like, she got a whiff of it, and then she So could... he had, like, done something with gasoline inside before they got there? Yeah. Okay. That's her assumption at the time. And she also, after she had called 911, possibly heard a child scream inside. And if you want to listen to that 911 call, I strongly discourage it. I hate it. I hate it so much. As a 911 operator, I would have... Uh, that yeah. 911 the mm-hmm. person who handled that 911 call I wanted to strangle it's so aggravating please don't listen to it it's just going to make you more upset about this yeah, case sure. anyways so the social worker had the sense to move her car and herself out of way out of away from the house before responders arrived and not too long after the house exploded in flames um, evidence later showed that Josh had taken a hatchet and hit both of the boys in the back of their heads and necks, and then he sat on a case of gasoline and lit the house on fire. The boys, so fucking tragically, didn't die from the trauma from the hatchet. They died of smoke inhalation. Oh, my God. So they, they were still alive. Out? 
They were, I mean, maybe, maybe? hopefully oh that's God. best case scenarios that they were at least unconscious, oh. but breathing. Um, so earlier that day, Josh had emailed his attorney saying, I'm sorry. Goodbye. Minutes before he set fire to his house. He also had taken the boys toys over to Goodwill over the weekend. He had this plan. Clue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so kind of weird. Uh, no, I'm not going to go into that yet. So February 6th, detectives learned that Josh also sent emails to friends saying that he couldn't live without the boys and also left voicemail for family members saying goodbye. And Detective Maxwell took this murder-suicide as a confession. He says that... That's um, fair. Yeah, he says... If he's willing to do that... Right. Of course he fucking did something to her. Right. So he basically said that since Susan wanted to divorce him, that... He, it's basically like if he couldn't handle that, if if he can't handle that and he yeah. killed, well, supposedly or allegedly, I don't know, assume uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Allegedly, yeah, um, killed her. Like, it's just the mentality of like, if he can't have them, no one can, yeah. So, like, she wanted to divorce him so no he one else could him. have her, and then his boys he are getting get taken away, yeah, no one can have them. Just very fucking sick, um. So, weird things happened with the kids in the background while the search for Susan, but I don't think these really came to light until after everything happened, after the kids died. Um, well, maybe not the first one. Weeks after disappearance, a teacher reported that Charlie claimed that his mother was dead. Oh, okay. Yeah, during school. Yeah, oh my. Yep. And then um, several it's months later, cool. Chuck and Judy, when they had um, custody of Brayden and Charlie, I guess. Brayden drew a picture of a van with three people inside and said mommy was in the trunk. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, fucking weird-ass shit with these kids. But, again, nothing to really do anything about now. But, um... So, going back June of 2012, Steve was convicted on the voyeurism charges and sentenced to two and a half years. The court had originally dismissed the charges of child porn, but the State Court of Appeals reinstated the charge in 2014. And he was convicted of that in 2015 and spent another two years in prison. So, then he spent a total of seven years in prison um, and was released in July of 2017 and died of heart problems a year later. Good. Yeah. Good. fine. Um, a lot of people thought that Steve had something to do with Susan's disappearance, but they nipped that in the butt really yeah. early. They interviewed him, and basically they learned that he was so infatuated with Susan that even after her death, he wrote a song about her, not her death, her disappearance. He wrote a song about her, hoping that he she would come back to no, him. Oh my God. So he literally had no idea that yeah. she was dead. Yeah, he, yeah. So Josh hadn't told him anything about that. Um. But there was a lot of suspicion that maybe Michael was involved in the disappearance. Um, Michael had randomly... Josh's brother. Yeah, Josh's younger brother. Oh, okay. Um, he had randomly sold his Ford Taurus to an auto shop in Pendleton, Oregon. Um, the car was in perfectly good condition, and he did this uh, just weeks after Susan's disappearance. To get it, like, impounded or something. Yeah, to get it like, impounded. To basically destroyed. get it destroyed the fuck up. Yeah. Um, when detectives found this out, they went to the auto shop three years after her disappearance the car was still there. And they snagged it. And right? they snagged that bitch up, but they found nothing. God damn it. I know. I know. And then Michael took away any hopes of answers on February 12th of 2013 when he killed himself in Minneapolis by jumping off a building. <laughs> it's a clue. Yep. God. Ugh. So, according to ABC News, the Cox family had a civil case 
in August of this year, um, and they were rewarded $98 million against the state oh of... Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, the State of Department of Social and Health Services. Um, the judge has since reduced that to $32 million. Whatever. 16 for each child. Okay. Yeah. Um, Chuck Cox <laughs> oh, yeah. intends to use the money to try to help other people and save children. <laughs> so sad. Search a minor, too. Huh? Or go search, search a minor, minor too? I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I feel so Fuck. sad for them. And my last saves, um, Josh's sister has a book titled "Light in Dark Places." If anyone wants to read it, and she talks about everything going on with them. Um, wow. Yeah. So the what thing that we put the pin in. I'm just gonna really briefly talk about that real quick. I'm so sorry. Um, so they think that since Josh was only a couple blocks north of the house at 3 p.m. And isn't that what I put a pin in? I think so. That sounds right. I'm going to cover about it. I'm going to talk about it anyways. Um, they think what he was doing for those four hours, based off of his pings off of his cell phone, um, was he was creating his alibi. Oh, right, right, right. Because he drove south of where right. he said he was camping and he yeah. hung out there and he drove north. Or he drove back and was hanging out at Wells Fargo and he called Susan and, like, he was creating that alibi of, like, oh, yes, I was at all of these places. Yeah. But at the wrong time. So it doesn't make any sense. But Gosh, what a fucking wild ride that I know. was. Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry. I talked for over an hour. It's okay. Uh, it's a long episode. Do you want to know how long? No, like three hours. Almost. Oh, fuck. <laughs> well, we had that timer. Never mind. We'll cut it and make it not three hours. Yeah, it'll be two Oops. and a half. What do you think? Do you think Josh did it? Yes, I think Josh did it. Yeah, I think Josh did it too. Josh for sure did it. Yeah. Watch Susan I... wind up like surfacing. I know. I also think that he used that time between 3 p.m. and almost 7 p.m. when he came home finally on the day of the disappearance to get rid of whatever evidence was in the car yep. so that what they found was just what they wanted him to find. Or, like, he ditched it into yeah. a place to, like, find later and dispose of when he was cleaning the house. Yep. Um, I also think that when he got that rental car, he went to Susan's body. Yep. There are two cases that, like, when I die... Mm-hmm. If we get to find out things, mm-hmm. I want to know about these two. One is this one. The second is John Bonet Ramsey. Yeah, that's the only two. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fucked. Yeah, I feel so bad for Susan. I feel so bad for her family. I do too. I feel bad for those grandparents, the Coxes. I feel. I know, right? Like they lost everything. If they had just kept custody of those kids, of those kids, they had custody. That's the thing. Is like. It's the if fucking courts. The, yeah. The courts that gave him supervised. <clears throat> and let it be at his house. Yeah. It That's should've... the trick. It should have been in, in a, a public... neutral place mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. at the Cox's house. Right. With the social worker. Everybody's right. there. Yeah. Right. So well, I bet you that judge feels. I bet. Kind of guilty. Yeah. Which. Yep. Maybe this has changed cases about how child custody goes. Hopefully. They're a little bit more cautious if, I don't know, a mom's missing. Don't give the kids to the dad. Presumed dead and everything is sketchy. Yeah. Presumed dead. And And he's not cooperative. Yeah. And, like, that should factor in. Yeah. But fuck me. I don't know. It's just the fact that he didn't... He didn't help. He didn't even fucking try to find his fucking wife. 
He had nothing. Fucking yep. piece of shit. Piece of shit. Also, I just want to say that, like, the detectives, I feel Could so bad for them because they were, like, <laughs> on top of their shit. Like, officers got there 10 minutes after police were called. They searched yeah. things. They, yeah. Sometimes they just that shit doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It sucks. Well, episode five. That was it. Five what, hours long. What a time. Yeah. Sorry, it's kind of bad. It's not bad stuff. Bad. Oh, it's like sad. <laughs> sad. Compared bad. to our usual. Yeah. yeah. That's okay. Well, sprinkle up. these in every once in a while. Yeah. Make you depressed sometimes. Sure, and then bring you back up next week. Yeah, with something. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about something. <laughs> um, you can find us on Instagram, and you can find us on our email. Um, email is who knew podcast six 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 at gmail dot com, and Instagram is who knew podcast. Easy. Super easy. Yep. Yeah. That's all I got. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Bye.